Bring it in. First read option podcast of 2024 starts right now. And no better way to do it than having the whole crew back from the holidays. Uh, I know our schedule was a little wonky. Had a couple of solo pods mixed in there. Didn't have a recap pod after New Year's uh, for a couple of different reasons. But just the way the schedule fell out, wasn't able to get one. So uh, we're going to lump in some reaction stuff from the weekend. Get everyone's vibes on how we're standing uh, some some big stuff has happened with all three of our teams, uh, so we, we need to get filled in with all of that and uh, get everybody caught up there, and then we will make our final picks of the regular season as we approach week 18. Just as quickly as it came, it has now gone, the NFL season, just like it always does. But boys, Happy New Year. It is great to see you both, and uh, how are we? How's everyone doing? It's good to see you said that. I mean, you're right. We have, third like... I think after this week, we have 13 NFL games left, which is oh, crazy. That's depressing. Yeah. Um, do have a crazy slate this week, though. If you're a Red Zone fan, I think we have like eight or seven four o'clock windows games. So, like, almost more than the one should be fun. But, no, I mean, listen, great New Year's. I was a little – you guys are like this. I uh, I obviously, like everyone does, overate a little bit during the holidays. Got a little sick around New Year's, so I lost all that weight back. <laughs> um, even though I had a hell of a flu situation, but Hey, that's a quick diet. And, uh, there you go. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Holidays were awesome. Football was great during it. Um, soccer was great during it. Quick West Ham plug. We are the best team in the last like month of premier league. Um, so pretty cool last six or seven games and, uh, yeah, sports are just fun. I, I, I know we haven't talked Broncos yet and Russ, I've been thinking about it and how I'll tell you guys how I feel, but, Besides all of that, like the playoff picture is looking good. Bills should be a great game this weekend with Dolphins. Like I, we're gearing up for a great week 18. And that I think is what's awesome about this schedule in this year in football. Yeah, we've never had this many like permutations that could potentially happen based off of week 18. Maybe even ever, at least in terms of drastic, like the Bills could be the two seed or they could miss the playoffs. Which yeah, is those insane. are probably the two most likely things. Like they could be a six, I think, but like. That's not going to have any stuff to happen. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is crazy. It's crazy. How are you doing, Scotty? Uh, <clears throat> I've uh, felt better, but we're plugging through, man. Um, this is yeah, just that time of year. around. Yeah, you know, um, and it sucks, but it's not going to deter me from watching football. Um, one more week of red zone. It's sad, boys. It's always a sad time of year when Scott Hansen has to sign off for the final time, and I'm yeah. left to the devices of the CBS, Fox, and NBC broadcasting crews to give me my football. It's no fun. Don't love it. The only thing that is saving it is the fact that the Niners are really freaking good, and we should be making a deeper run. Yeah, it is. It you know, I I will say this. I love Scott Hansen. No, no Scott Hansen slander on this podcast. We've we've always said that we love Scott Hansen. Um, but I do kind of like when we get to this year and and we'll touch on the uh, the college football playoff as well for Monday night, because um, the college football playoff is the first time it's like, ooh, like really, really meaningful football is being played, like playoff football is being played. And it gives you that kind of taste where you're like, I'm kind of excited to sit down and watch one full game start to finish that just has a ton of meaning behind it. That's win or go home kind of mentality. I do love that. Uh, and so I am very excited for that. But yeah, saying goodbye to our boy every year. It's uh, 
it's a, it's never a goodbye. It's always just a see you later. But uh, yeah, well, the next time we'll hear Scott Hansen, we'll be announcing our uh, our draft order in fantasy after this weekend. So um, soak it all in while uh, while we have it. Um, what do you guys want to do first? Do you want to do NFL stuff or do you want to touch on the playoff? Because we had two awesome college football playoff games on Monday night uh, or Sunday night. No, it was Monday night. I'm all thrown off still from, from New Year's. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, let's start off with the college football, and then we'll we'll get into the NFL, and then that'll be a good segue. Uh, we have our national championship set. It will be the Michigan Wolverines going up against the Washington Huskies, a future Big Ten matchup between these two teams. That's um, right, we, best conference in the country. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's going to be a really really fun national championship. I I had Alabama and, and Washington going and uh scotty you you had alabama and texas right a rematch i was straight yeah. wrong <laughs> and Vito, who did you have i didn't actually see your friends. i had bama washington as well bama washington yeah um yeah but it's it's gonna be fun regardless and uh we will put our picks in for the national championship today as well at the end of it um uh, but two really awesome games we were all on bama um you know it's it's interesting because bama i felt like kind of showed their true colors in this game right like don't get me wrong the they're, they're, they're still a very good football team, but for the people who, you know, Bama didn't deserve to be there, crowd, all that stuff, like, don't get me wrong, I still think Florida State should have been, like, was there. I think after what they did to Georgia in the SEC championship game, like, they deserved to be in the, you know, they were, in my eyes, I thought they were one of the four best teams, and there's a lot of Nick Staben, you know, starting to dig the grave for him, trying to put him out in the backyard a little bit, send him on his way. I think this is by far one of his most impressive coaching jobs. Uh, an offensive line. Did you hear this stat during the broadcast, by the way? The Alabama offensive line is larger and heavier than any NFL offensive line. That tracks. All, Wait, really? All five. Heavier than Michigan, off- which is insane. Yeah. All five of their offensive linemen were 350 plus. And I, and so when you take that into account, like you go up against a lot of speed in the SEC and edge rushers, obviously Michigan has a really, really good defensive line. That was a factor early in this game. Um, th- there was just nowhere for Jalen Millrose to go with the ball in the air. Cause especially in that first half, it was just, you had guys in your lap the entire time. Now, when they wanted to turn around and run the ball, that's really effective because you're getting all that mass moving downfield. You're getting to push the line of scrimmage. And we saw Alabama start to do that. But I was so impressed, and, and I think the player that impressed me the most in this game was J.J. McCarthy. And he's a guy who a lot of people are projecting to be a first-round draft pick, um, and which is weird because it'll likely be one of those situations where he's likely to be much more uh, productive of, as a passer in the NFL compared to college. Normally, it's the reverse of that. But so much of that is due to how Michigan's offenses run, how they like to run behind Blake Corum, how they like to, to dominate the line of scrimmage, play ball control, a lot of the stuff that we've seen Harbaugh do over the years when he was in San Francisco, when he was at Stanford, and obviously now what we've seen with him at Michigan. Um, but all in all, I just thought like there were so many big moments in that game that it felt like this Michigan team just was not floored or was not rattled in the slightest. And JJ McCarthy, you know, Michigan man split duty for a couple of years as the quarterback. It's given off a little bit of like Tom Brady vibes, you know, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. He was calm, cool and collect. He's a great athlete too. Um, and that, you know, that trick play where he caught the, the, the bat, the double pass 
They threw it behind the line of scrimmage and he one yeah. hand catches it, throws it, no laces as he gets lit up after making, and it was an unbelievably perfect throw down the sideline. Um, there were just a lot of big, th- uh, big plays. Mac Wilson had that really, really big catch that got def- the, the deflection, but the spiral kept and it just kind of altered the trajectory of the ball. Um, there was a lot in that game that I was impressed on with Michigan because it felt like as we're nearing towards the end of that fourth quarter and Michigan's about to go on that final drive, I thought it was Bama. I thought Bama had it rattled, like wrapped up. And and for a team like Bama, where this is definitely not the most talented team Bama's ever had, it's a young quarterback who is a dynamic athlete, um, but definitely struggles to throw anything other than a deep ball. Um, and obviously, you know, he can run. He can run like any like anybody in the country when it comes to being a quarterback. Uh, I was just really impressed to see that you know Michigan battled tough hung in there and and won a really close game because it was the first time this year that they really felt like they were tested, you know, like, yeah, the Ohio state game had its moments where it was close, but it felt like Michigan was in control of that game all the whole time. Uh, Everything else, Michigan just kind of dominated. And so to see them be in a close game against a well-coached team um, was, was huge. And ultimately the biggest downfall for Alabama was the center couldn't get the ball in the air. And that, that was yep. something that was not just yeah, in this game. It was all year. Ooh. It was an issue with that offense all year. And it kind of came back to bite them in uh, in the biggest moment. Yeah. Well, and the thing was that it might have, you know, in hindsight, looked like Michigan dominated that game. That's a three-point game coming in or going into halftime, right? You got to be pleased with that if you're Nick Saban. Go into the locker room, tell your team all you got to do is play Alabama football for the next uh, 30 minutes, and you're good as gold. Um and they did. They came out hot in the second half. Jalen Milrow was spinning it. They got the run game going. Um, and ultimately, they ended up scoring the touchdown to go up by uh, by seven. Um, and then it all fell apart with 441 once Michigan started driving to, to um, down the field again. And, and, yeah, you know, they play Alabama football. That doesn't happen, right? Uh, that's hard. Uh, execution problems like that, we do not see out of a Nick Saban-led football team in December or January at this stage of the year. Um, it's really rare. So um, congrats, Michigan, I guess. Uh, we'll see. I mean, they've been dominant all year on both sides of the ball. Um, they look like they wanted it more in the end anyway. So my whole take on this was a little bit I, – I was a little um, – first of all, I, I thought Bannon was going to win, and I was impressed by Michigan, both lines of scrimmage again. That's kind of what their theme has been, but you thought that – Bama's always been Bama. They've been getting these five-star guys all the time. I think it's going to work, you know, all that stuff. Clearly Michigan, you know, and here's another thing why I always say that is people who don't follow recruiting. Michigan has not been a top 10 recruiting. They've had a couple of years in the top 10. They're not a top five perennial Ohio State, like Alabama recruiting. It's like Georgia. So as all of that goes down and, and we see this team's match up, it's really just a hats off to the Michigan coaches and everything they've done in the off seasons and prepping. And um, it's pretty impressive to see, but I will say um, I just, it was one of those things where I just already am looking ahead to next year in some ways, like, man, as great as it was to see this matchup, it's a bummer. Georgia wasn't in right. And like, there's other things that happened throughout this whole thing. And we can get into obviously like, you know, 12 team playoffs is going to solve a lot of issues. And I think that's the thing, all these question marks of what did this team play that team? I think we're going to get out of that a lot. And it, you know, we'll see a lot more crazy matchups of teams that don't play each other often, like Bama, Michigan don't play, you know, and yeah. it's going to be really fun. Now that you have 
<clears throat> to your point, Washington and, and Michigan and the national champion, they're going to play all the time now. You know what I mean? Not all the time, but every couple of years, like they're going to play. It's going to be so much more fun as we have these top tier teams playing more in the regular season and in the postseason, some crossover games that are crazy. Um, yeah. So I'm already looking ahead and I know you shouldn't, we should enjoy right now. Right. Like Jeff, you always say like we, this is still great for college football and everything, but I'm not going to lie to you guys during both of these games. I was like, man, I can't wait for 12 teams. Like it's going to be like, imagine this game at a college campus. It would have been nuts. Yeah, no, and and I, I'm so excited for that as long as the parody continues. You know, like what what's unique about this year is we've had parody in college football for the first time in a very long time. And I think that's what we saw on on Monday night, right? Is we saw two really or two really, really good games, but four really good teams, right? And and not one of these teams was head and shoulders above anybody else, and everyone had their fair share of high, you know, either you know, veteran quarterbacks or, you know, five-star type talent guys we're going to see playing in the NFL. I mean, it, it is crazy. Like you look across all four teams has guys that are probably going to go in the first round, you know, and, and guys who are going to be on fantasy teams moving forward and guys who are going to be starting offensive linemen and defensive linemen. I mean, half of Georgia's defensive line or Texas's defensive line is probably going to end up as a first round draft pick at some point in the next couple of years. They have five stars across the front on their on entire starting four. And then you look at Washington. Washington's had the best offensive line in college football this season, right? And that's not typically what you think when you think of Washington, but that's how good they've been and, and how they've been able to build that up. And a game like this where you see Michigan-Alabama, first time I think since the 1999 Rose Bowl was the last time that these two teams played. Um, you know, it, it's cool to see two very storied, historic college football programs go head-to-head on that field. The Rose Bowl obviously is always an, an absolutely incredible venue and, and setting. Um, Ultimately, I think what won this game for Michigan was Michigan was able to, A, rush the passer at a very high level, particularly in the first half. But in the second half, once Alabama kind of started to sniff it out a little bit, you look at, like, the one thing that Bama's done with Jalen Milrose as quarterback this year has been he can run the lights out of the ball, right, and he can absolutely break off big runs and kill you and gash you with his legs. So if Michigan was able to keep that under control, that was going to be a huge plus. But it's also those deep shots. It's the big plays, the explosive plays. And Jermaine Burton, you know, the, the transfer from Georgia is one of the best wide receivers in college football this year and an absolutely loaded group as we have right now. And Michigan, every single deep shot that Jalen Milrose took, he basically threw it out of bounds. There, there was no opportunity for a deep shot, a game-breaking type play which forced Alabama into this, all right, we have to control the game on the ground. And we got to hope that, hey, if we're going to take a shot and everything breaks down and everything's covered, Jalen Milrose has to go out there and make a play. And he made a bunch, and that's why they were you know, winning going into that final drive. But as a cohesive team, I think Michigan was the more cohesive team. I think they were the team that on both sides of the ball, their identity never wavered. They were who they were. Their big players made big plays. Blake Corum becoming the all-time leading touchdown scorer, for the University of Michigan in that game, which was, you know, pretty impressive. It's And he's not like a, hey, this is my sixth year playing because of the COVID year or anything else. This is his fourth season, you know. It's a four-year starter, and he ends up putting breaking the record for touchdowns in this game. Um, I do feel like the, the right team won. I feel like Michigan played the better football game. Uh, but to do that against Alabama, which, you know, again, this isn't the most talented Alabama team we've ever seen, but it still is Alabama. It's still a really, really coached football team. Uh, and, you know, I think that the pinnacle of it was like that last play, you know, they had 
there were two timeouts on both sides. It took them a long time to get it up. You get that play finally out there because it was like a time. There's an injury timeout, and then they went down in, in overtime, and then fourth down, and then Michigan called a timeout, and then Alabama called a timeout. I felt like we were waiting for like ten minutes for this last play to be like, are they going to score a touchdown here? We're going to get double overtime, or is this going to be it? And the the reason that play got blown up was the right. Uh, or I guess left end for Michigan just shoved the right tackle back so far. The low snap hurt, no question, and it was a read option. He had a running back out in the flat, so he could have thrown it out there. I don't know if he would have gotten in or not well, because Michigan did have guys out there. But once Milrose had to take it, he had one place to go, try to ram it up the middle, gets taken out by his own guy, and that was kind of all she wrote. Yeah, there was, you know, you look at the the different angles on there. And kudos to ESP. I don't know what uh, feed you guys watched during the game. I was I was dialed into the McAfee field pass. Um, but they showed the uh, the all-22 version, um, and there was space on the left. Granted, he would have had to run like a, a 4-0-40 and make like a ridiculous jump cut to beat that end that, yeah. that stayed home. Um, but, like, it's really tough when your eyes are – have to be down looking down to try to find the ball instead of up trying to see what's going on in front of you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, that's, that's a tough way to lose. Um, I don't know. I, I, that play might be their bread and butter. It just seems like a weird call to me on, yeah. uh, on a, on a play to win the game. Uh, yeah. I, I would have, I, I think part of it was kind of, that's where Michigan kind of brought them to, you know, it was like, and ultimately, it's you're putting the ball in in Milrose's hand to go make a play. Which, yeah, which Understood. I think ultimately that was kind of what they needed to get those what was it four yards or whatever it was to get into the end zone. Like they kind of needed Milrose to step up and make a big time play. And and to your point there, Scotty, like uh, Tom McShay made a really really good point uh, on a podcast I was listening to this week about when you when it's one thing if it's like in that moment it's a low snap, it's another thing when it's happening all game. Because as a quarterback, like you're, it, it changes your eye level. It changes where you're looking. And even if you get a perfect snap in the back of your head, you're still almost like anticipating it potentially being a low snap. So you're like, I expect it to be here, but it might also be here. And just that thought alone is one more thought and of, of a million that are going through your mind in that big of a moment. And yeah, it was, it, it was weird that it was a couple of small things, but like that dropped punt on at the end of the regulation, like, the play, I mean, A, don't drop the punt, but the effort from the return guy to get it and to get the ball at the one-yard line, maintain possession, and have enough of a of a bounce back to not then fumble the ball back into the end zone. Because if he if that ball goes in the end zone, Alabama covers, we're talking about one of the craziest endings of a college football, you know, a, a bowl game of all time, you know, right? Where you're thinking, all right, we're laced up for overtime, and next thing you know, bang. <laughs> Alabama's heading to the national championship because, and that would have absolutely destroyed Michigan because Michigan's gone on, you know, they get blown out by Georgia last year, the heartbreak to TCU to then that, I mean, that would just be like, what, what more can you take if you're a Michigan fan at that point, which I know is not too much of a concern for the two of you, but for the Michigan fans out there, I mean, I can't even imagine what my reaction would have been like if I was a Michigan fan during that moment. Cause even as a, as a, you know, a, unbiased you know fan just watching the game my heart dropped and i was like oh my you can't fucking drop the ball there like of all things you and they put the guy back there that they trust too they didn't even go for like the the home run hitter they want the guy who had the surest hands and he still almost cost him a chance to go to the college football national championship so uh but that was fun the other one uh washington and texas 
Uh, again, game. I feel uh, yeah, great game, and uh, I felt like the best team won. I do. Um, Michael Penix, yeah. just unbelievable, oh. man. Uh, his some of the stuff he's doing, the ball placement. Uh, you know, I, he definitely helped his draw his draft stock in this. You know, it's going to be that Kenny Pickett thing where it's all right. Do you want? You know, he's twenty four years old, um, but ultimately, and and I know you guys have some uh, some beef with him from how that game a few years ago with Indiana went. It's fine, it's buried. But it's crazy He's to good. think it's crazy to think that that dude at Indiana is the same guy that we're seeing right now. After you know? two injuries so after that, not one, two. <laughs> like uh, that's it's a huge point, man. He's improved so much. And I think when you're talking about a guy, I saw a stat that the four college football playoff QBs were like a higher average age than like um four of the teams go in the playoffs in the NFL, which is crazy. <laughs> Like two is younger, right? Like there's a bunch of 22 and 23 year old guys, you know. CJ Stroud, um, yeah, yeah, he's 22. So like, anyway, point is that um, it's it's different. The NFL is more. This this isn't the uh, Brandon Whedon, 28 year old going to Cleveland. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different, 24, but still, with all of this, like we're seeing some guys coming out at 23 more often and 24, and comparing them to a 21 and 22 year old. The funny part is, right? This has always been the debate. It's been well, we want to. We want to let the guy grow and develop. I cannot tell you the last time I saw a first round pick sit the entire year. I, I really can't even tell you that. Mahomes uh, was Rogers. probably the last one. Yeah. Mahomes, yeah, was probably the last one that I can think of. And so it wasn't even a full year though. <laughs> he played in week week 17. He played in the last game, oh, yeah. but other yeah, than that, that, Alex Smith. That kind of counts. And and so I guess the point there is that that's that's at what he's dropped, like 15 overall, something like that. Yeah. Um and and so you say that, hey, we'll draft a young guy and teach him, but you don't. You throw him out there, and then it's all this, and then we move on. So the point is, why not take a 24-year-old to your point who you could have drafted him after Indiana, and he wouldn't have been great. But he yeah. went through this almost growth period, um, you know, and I think that's a really big improvement on him. And I would, I think he's more ready to start than most of the other guys. I'll tell you what, 100%. looking at him play, I'd take him on the Broncos. I mean, 100%. I love still, but I, yeah, he looked awesome, man. And you're seeing that now in, in the NFL, like, right? Like Brock Purdy's success is a big part of that. He played for four years, four solid yeah. years, had a great career, developed in college, came to the NFL, was ready to go. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys, J.J. McCarthy included, who who might come out. Um, I know this is his last year anyway. Yeah. Um, Bo Nix is another example who've just been there forever in systems and getting developed by multiple systems in Bo Nix's case that like, and, and Michael Penix that I think that is a, a positive benefit for quarterback development so that by the time they get to the league, it's not like, hey, we're going to plug you into this system, teach you how to play in the NFL in our system, and if it works, it works. We hit on a draft pick. If not, then we're idiots and we move on, and everybody calls you Jamarcus Russell for the rest of your life. Like That, that I think, is, is a very positive thing for both college football and the NFL that you're seeing more experienced players at the quarterback position coming out. Yeah. And look, playing a lot of football typically translates to being pretty good at football. Like, you know, if you have the talent and then you build up the experience, it can help. Like but at the same time, like Mason Rudolph has been better than Kenny Pickett was all year. Right. And now, granted, we didn't see Mason Rudolph play under Matt Canada. But at the same time, I'm like, so even the post Matt Canada games where we had Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph was still good. And if once uh, Kenny Pickett gets cleared, Mike Tomlin's already said they're rolling with Mason Rudolph. So it's like, and which part of that might just be like kind of like hockey, like you roll with the hot goal, you roll with the hot hand. But at the same time, having a ton of experience doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great. It just means that you've played a lot of 
football and there's a good chance. Now, the one benefit is I think you will learn quick sooner rather than later, whether or not that guy is going to be a guy or not. Right. Because you look at a Justin Fields and you look at these guys who they show these bright spots of like, wow, look at the potential that could be there at a 24 year old who comes in and struggles for a couple of years and never quite sees it. You know, Kenny Pickett turning 26 years old and it's only his what second year in the league. You're kind of realizing, okay, if he's not getting it by now, he's probably not going to end up getting it. And you can kind of move on quicker. So spending a third or a fourth round draft pick on a guy like that, you know, even someone like Sam Howell, who played a ton, you know, started as a true freshman, played for three years, you know, and then goes and he gets drafted in the fourth or fifth round by Washington. And we saw when he got his chance to play, he's he's been good. He struggled the last, you know, the last four or five games. But the quarterback we saw at the beginning is it was was better than what we saw at a Kenny Pickett. So I do I do think there is value in that. I think the other thing that people might be hesitant on with Penix is the injury history. I mean, he's torn two ACLs. That's that's no, you know, it's not something you just forget about or ignore. That is an important piece of it. But what he's able to do throwing the ball out of the pocket, you know, I, I saw Michael Irvin compared him to Mike Vick. And it's like, dude, that is the worst player comp I've ever heard. That's like yeah, up there with yeah. with uh, Stephen A. Smith saying Dwayne Haskins is more of a runner than a thrower. You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. you're not like you're not watching the game, dude. You just see a black quarterback who's a lefty and you think, oh, Michael Vick. It's like don't yeah. run. Penix is a really good athlete, but he's not Michael Vick. He's not even close to Michael Vick. And he's a and he way... play like him at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> he, he plays out of the pocket and he his, his the anticipation, the ball placement. I mean, and he's got crazy arm strength, too. So I. I love watching him and, and look, it helps with the wide receivers that they have, right? I mean, Adunze is an absolute monster and I know everyone's going to want to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. It's the first wide receiver, but there, I guarantee you, if Adunze was in this year's class, he would have been far and away the first wide receiver taken. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first one taken this year. Adunze would have been a top 10 pick this year. And he still very well might be a top 10 pick this year, even if they end up going, people end up going with Marvin Harrison Jr. instead of him. They're both incredible, but I mean, 1500 yards in in a college season is absurd. That's it's a ridiculous, ridiculous number. And that was kind of in this game. The one part that, that I'd said was like, look, Texas is awesome up front. If there's one place you can beat Texas, it's going to be over the top. And unfortunately for them, like this is a really be- tough team to, in Washington to try to defend that way. And I, because they are so good at hitting those deep shots. They are so good about pushing the ball downfield and Penix has been so accurate and is so good running out of the pocket. So even going up against a really, really good front, Washington's offensive line, I thought actually out, I mean, Penix didn't get sacked once in this game against Texas's defensive line, which says a lot about like this offense and everything, but it says so much yeah. about the, the offensive line winners. from Washington. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think the more that we see out of, you know, Michael Penix and, the, and, and with this team, like I, my early take on the national championship is I love Washington. I, I they, they've been my pick to win the title since the four Especially were four were out there. Um, defensively, given the points, yeah, yeah, defensively, like where they'll cut, run into trouble in this game will be like stopping the run consistently going up. It's their, their D line going up against Michigan's D line. But if this game turns into a shootout, like I'm gonna lean Washington in that. But we also talked about, hey, well, Michigan did such a good job protecting the deep ball against Alabama. The one thing, though, that Penix does that Milrose couldn't do is attack stuff underneath the middle of the field, right? Those 20-yard 
deep shots, right? Not not the deep home run balls, but those 20 to 30 yard shots, the deep crosses over the middle of the field. That's the stuff that Milrose doesn't see because he is so young and he is still developing. Penix sees that. And so if Michigan comes out and plays really conservative and says, we're not getting beat up over the top, then we're going to see Washington be able to pick them apart underneath. And then it's going to be who does better in the red zone. Um, I do want to give Texas a lot of credit too, because they've been a fun team all year. And Quinn years, um, Quinn years had a bad game, you know, and, and I thought part of that was, I thought Washington, you know, despite making a couple of mistakes to kind of help Texas hang around in this game. Uh, I, I thought, they did overall like a pretty good job. And I thought the defense got put in a couple of tough spots, but for the most part, I felt like Washington's defense hung with a a really good Texas offense, but Texas really couldn't get the ball moving consistently throughout that game. And and yet they still had a shot at the end. And um, I think next year we're going to see a lot of the guys returning for Texas. I think they lose, lose Xavier worthy uh, on the outside, but I think most of their defense is coming back. Uh, Texas isn't going anywhere. They do have to play in the SEC next year, which will definitely be a little bit harder than, you know, getting through the Big 12 this past season. Um, but yeah, Quinn, Quinn Ewers didn't have his best day. Uh, and, and you know, that happens from time to time, right? In, in big moments, you don't always get the best out of out of your, the guys you need them from. But both games were were spectacular. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what this uh, national championship is going to bring. I think it's a, it's an awesome matchups. It's full dichotomy of both completely different styles of offense two completely different styles of defense, different parts of the country, tons of talent all across the field. I think we're going to be in for a really, really fascinating national championship. And uh, yeah, like I said, not giving too much away. Um, I am leaning slightly towards Washington. The one thing that might derail me from that, they lose Dylan Johnson, it is not clear yet whether he's going to play, yeah. um, but I, I I saw some crazy stat like the amount of first downs on the ground this year that they've gotten. He's responsible for two hundred and fifty five of them, and then the next closest I think was at thirty. So they rely a lot on Dylan Johnson, and he was already playing banged up in this game. He went over a hundred yards, scored a touch, scored two touchdowns I think in this game. So. No Dylan Johnson would definitely be a problem because we talk about Michael Penix and their ability to throw the ball. They can also run, and and Dylan Johnson looked really, really good. So him being healthy uh, will be definitely a massive factor in this national championship because behind him there's not a whole lot. Uh, but also they have a really good offensive line. So I the trench play in in that national championship is going to be really, really fun. It's going to be uh, ugly, man. It's yeah, going to be a nasty brawl. Speaking of <laughs> I'm ugly. looking forward to it. Let's uh, let's transition to some NFL talk here. Uh, we'll start with the good, and then we'll go to the bad, and then we'll finish with the ugly. Um, Scotty, you're you're in the good right now because your Niners have locked up the one seed. Um, Thank but you, Cardinals. The people have not heard from you since the Christmas Day massacre uh, of the Baltimore yeah. Ravens against the uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So, uh, real quick, catch us up a little bit. How how are you feeling? How are the vibes? They 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 covered on Sunday on Sunday against Washington. Wouldn't say it was the best we've seen them, but Purdy was out making some impressive plays. Uh, how wh- where are the vibes at right now for your Niners as we uh, head into Week 18? Uh, they're good, man. Um, look, I know we're benching a lot of our our usuals, our starters this week, um, just because we've already locked everything up, um, home field. But um, I think uh, I, I'm I'm feeling good, man. That that Ravens game, like. I, no discredit to to Lamar and Baltimore, um, or maybe uh, spoiler alert for the uh, for the line this week. 
Um, no discredit to them. They're a great football team. Um, they played really well against a really good uh, Niners team on Christmas Day. I think that was one of those you 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 know that scene in Ted Lasso where they just play so phenomenally bad that they just like sit there and watch it with the the comedic music running under it yeah. uh, and, and just laugh at it because like that's sometimes that's all you can do. That's how I felt that game. I was like nothing went right from the jump. Brock Purdy was what four interceptions. Nothing went right. Couldn't get a run game. Couldn't do anything on defense. And it was just like at a certain point it was comical and you have to look like laugh at it a little bit um, and understand that you just got beat by a really good football team in the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, I, I wasn't that worried about it at the end, in the middle of it, I was kind of, you know, ticked off until um, we got to about the third quarter. And I was like, they can't, there's nothing, nothing can go right. Not a single thing um, in that football game went right for us. So it is what it is, you know, bad, yeah. bad way to end Christmas day. But uh, um, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just one of those things, and it happens in football. Um, so I'm not worried. Uh, they played really well last week uh, in, on the road in Washington. Um, I think they were they were all anticipating that game would be easier than uh, um, than we probably went into it thinking. Uh, Christian McCaffrey gets banged up a yeah. little bit with the calf, um, so he's sitting this week. Brock, no Brock Purdy. Um, Trent Williams a little banged up too. Trent Williams, yeah. So like, rest all those guys, get them healthy. They're gonna have almost three full weeks off uh, since we locked up the one seed and uh, and go get it in the uh, in the divisional. Yeah, you know, and I think that you know that Christmas Day game, so much of it, and this is I think a really true a thing, a really important thing in football. And, and I said this to you in our in our group chat was like, every team needs to get punched in the mouth at some point. Right. Like every team that wins a title, every team that that goes on big runs, like every team gets punched in the mouth at some point. And yep. it really felt like we hadn't seen that out of San Francisco yet this year when they've all been healthy, you know, and this was a game where everyone was healthy going into the game. We were expecting it to be a, a duel like it was going to be a really close, tightly contested game. And the Niners got punched in the mouth and and Purdy was bad, you know, like that was Purdy's first really, really bad game of the season. Yep. Um, really of his of his career, you know, where he was just just flat out bad. And I think it's important to have those games where you, you know, you wake up and you say, all right, damn, like we got punched in the mouth today. You know, let's let's see how we respond. And I, I to me, I think it's a really good sign that we saw them come out and and play better despite still being a little banged up and McCaffrey getting banged up in that game and, and but still played a really consistent game because to me. Every NFL team loses badly at some point in the season. Every NFL team has that punch in the in the mouth moment. How you respond to it says so much about the team itself. It says about what the the character of that team is like, what that locker room is like, what the core of it is like. And to me, I saw this team like bounce back after that and say, "All right, hey, we got punched in the mouth, but we're not going to let that stop us." And they go out and they win by 17. And it wasn't the full-blown ass-kicking as we've seen in other games where they win 42 to 10, but they still covered a what, 14 and a half point spread um yeah. with, with a few extra points to spare. And, and they looked pretty damn good doing it, even if it wasn't their their best, especially in that first half. So from a mental resolve standpoint, I think that's exactly what you wanted to see out of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, after what happened there on was. Christmas, um, we do have to at least touch on the on the the Ravens a little bit while we're on it. The Ravens are, I mean, playing just some of the best football I, I've I've seen in a long time, and and look, we've we've seen football and and really really good teams that have won in, in 
a lot of it has been Mahomes balling out. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles defensive line last year were balling out, right? And, and look, the Eagles had a bunch of really complete to get, you know, total team wins last year too. But what we've saw, seen from the last two weeks out of the Ravens is so impressive. Uh, I mean, and and it's they they beat you in any way possible. They're doing it with a rookie first round wide receiver, Zay Flowers, who is really blossoming, an aging you know Odell Beckham Jr. who had an unbelievable catch. I don't know, was that on on Sunday's game, the one he was falling out of the end zone or uh, on the sideline? It was like almost like the one handed so catch great. against the Giants. It was sick. Uh, you know, we're getting vintage likely. plays like that. Isaiah likely, you know, a little, little bit faster, a little quicker than Mark Andrews uh, and still finding ways to utilize his skill set. And then that defense, man, I mean, they are just so fucking physical. And they, I mean, They're they dogs. they are. And it reminds you of the Terrell Suggs and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed Baltimore teams, Hello Nada. You know, they, they just are unafraid and they want to punch you in the mouth and they want to out physical you to the point where you don't think you're going to be able to move the ball. And they, they win that mental warfare every time. And then on offense, you can play perfect coverage, have a perfect scheme. And Lamar is finally in the second half of the season, especially these last four or five weeks, he's hitting on the deep balls, but when everything's covered and a play breaks down, we're seeing the vintage Lamar come out. We're seeing the guy who is just impossible to tackle to the ground because he is just so elusive. And it's almost like he's been saving it to this point. You know, it's almost like, you know, LeBron, like how LeBron does the, his load management during the regular season. So that way, when the playoffs come, he can play a full 48 minutes and and dominate. Right. And he can still pull that bag out of his hat. Right. Like, that's what we're seeing here with Lamar, which is like, all right, I'm running the offense. I'm doing it efficiently. I'm putting the ball where it's supposed to be for, you know, 85% of the season. And then since that Niners game till now, it's like, all right, it's time to turn on the Lamar juice. And it's just like, he's impossible to bring down. He's so elusive and he's breaking off big runs again. The backbreakers on third and 12. I think there was a third and 12 in that game, Scotty, against the Niners, where like out of nowhere, he seems dead to rights. He scrambles around. Next thing you know, boom, 25 yard run on third and 12 picks up a first down. And and so they, they win the mental warfare on both sides because they're so physical defensively. And then offensively, those backbreaking moments where you're like, we finally got them down. Lamar's pulling out all the stops and is is doing his Lamar shit. And I just, yeah, you know, I, I'm so and impressed huge, with what we've seen from this Ravens team. A huge part of that is Munkin's offensive scheme, yeah, uh, that's been thrown in. But that the other big part, quite literally, is that offense. I've been saying it all year long. That offensive line is nasty. Like it is one of the most disgusting units in all of the NFL. That offensive line can bully you. They can pull. They can get upfield. They they do it all. They that's a that is an absolute unit. Um and it, like we saw in that Christmas Day game, even against the best defensive lines in uh in the NFL, they are uh they're they're getting the job done and, and doing it with uh with relative ease, it seems like what's crazy too is their set like their secondary I, I thought they were good. Right. Everyone knew they were good, but they hadn't really been challenged. And I think that Niners game was a really big moment for for just the Ravens defense to be like, yeah, we can actually go up against elite guys at one, two and three spot. Like our linebackers can cover Kittle and McCaffrey. At y. Like that, that was impressive to see how they could cover that plethora of talent, because I don't think any of us have seen anyone a be able to deal with San Francisco that way or B seen a team that really challenged Baltimore like that. And they were able to respond. So I don't know, man, this, this, I'm not surprised both these teams are one seeds. 
No. And, and look, I said it. You nailed I did, it. <laughs> I did it when I uh, when I did my solo pod. I had, you know, I said, like, I think um, I did have Baltimore. Did I have San Francisco? I think I did have Baltimore and San Francisco as my one seeds. I have to look back I had, and, and write. Yeah, we got to look had back. Philly I had and Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. I did I have I Philly? Did. I was going to say, yeah, I don't think I had Philly as my one seed. I have it written down. I can pull it up. Um, yeah. But to me, it's like the, the biggest key, and this is what I said on the solo pod, and I think I said it going into the, the Niners and Baltimore game, is Kyle Hamilton. Like, and, and we were, the three of us were on Zoom during that draft when the Eagles drafted. You were going nuts about Kyle Hamilton since he's been drafted, to your credit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, he was my favorite prospect coming into that draft. I wanted, I wanted the Eagles to, when they traded up and they ended up getting Jordan Davis, and that was the year they had the A.J. Brown trade. So it was yeah. like, all right, hey, you know what? <laughs> we, we got deep depth on the defensive line. That's okay. We'll take that. Jordan Davis is still a monster, you know. But I also was kind of like, but this dude, like, and that's like one of the big things this Eagles team is missing, right? And like, and, and a lot of teams are missing is this Swiss Army knife type player who you play him at safety. It's it's like the first thing we've seen, like since Tyron Matthew of a guy like this, where you can really just put him anywhere on the field and he just goes out and makes plays. And, and that's exactly what we've seen from Kyle Hamilton. And, and he was so important in that game. He had two interceptions, obviously, which was like the big takeaway. But just being able to match him up against McCaffrey, Debo, you know, Kittle, all these guys, and just make life harder for them because he is so big and fast and strong. And he's got such a good nose for the ball. He's a heady player. I You can't say enough good things about the kid. And to pair that with, you know, the speed and intelligence and playmaking that they have at linebacker. Like, I don't know if you saw like the Roquan or the Roquan Smith one-handed interception this weekend against Miami where he was just, it was like, it was almost yeah. like he was the one running the crossing route and he just stuck his hand out without stopping in stride. Just yeah. Mine. And then just that kept was, going. I mean. And part of that's too, is because of what Patrick queen brings, right? Like he can drop yeah. and take that guy that's running the underneath route. And then Roquan can just drop into coverage on the back end and be like, yeah, oh, gotcha. And then they're both great in the run defense, too. Um, yeah, I mean, what they did to Miami this weekend, and huge bummer, obviously, about Bradley Chubb uh, and Miami seemingly, like, you know, they win that game against Dallas, and you think, man, Miami could be right there if they win this game, that the one seed is going to be theirs. And now it's looking like, man, like Miami's falling apart in the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, it's it's tough to see. Tyreek Hill's house caught on fire yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it was. Did you see what I? They finally figured out what it was. No, it was what one was of it? His kids playing with a cigarette lighter. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe having four kids at the same time wasn't a great idea, Tyreek. I think with Just, four, yeah, with four different women. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a it's a bold, bold move, Cotton. Bold, Nick bold Cannon. Strategy. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, he's Tyreek Hill is the next Nick Cannon. Um, but yeah, so that's the good. Those two teams are really good. It does feel like they are kind of ahead, a full step ahead of everyone else. Um, which, hey, look, if that's the Super Bowl, I I would be it'd be awesome. It'd be a really really fun Super Bowl. <clears throat> we do have you know Dallas Revenge. Dallas is there, and you have and Philly's not probably going to do anything. Um, so it kind of feels like it's going to be. I mean, Detroit. Look, Detroit was interesting in that Dallas game. They got robbed on that. Um, we didn't get a chance to really respond to that, but that was, that was ugly too. Um, but yeah, I, it feels like, you know, Cleveland on the other side, the Joe Flacco revenge game would be fucking amazing. Uh, and Cleveland did get one from them earlier this year with Deshaun. So, uh, can yeah, you believe well, Cleveland is resting Joe Flacco this week? Just that statement. Back to so the couch. Wild. <laughs> I saw that they're going to have a, 
a, a, a different quarterback than they've had. Who's starting for them this week? I couldn't even tell you. Because was, right now, when I looked up their roster on uh, last week, it was P.J. Walker and Joe Flacco. But then I saw a tweet today, and I didn't get a chance to Jeff do a, Driscoll. It's going to be Driscoll, yeah. So yeah, they're the first team. Because this was the stat that I saw, is that they're going to be the first team to start five different quarterbacks in the same season in 35 years, and they're going to be the five seed. How insane, insane is that? Yeah. I mean, and they would be, you know, they'd be the one seed if they were in the AFC West. Or not, they'd be a, they'd win the division rather, and they'd be hosting yeah. the playoff oh, game yeah. rather, is what I'm going to say. I mean, they'd be a higher seed, right? For Their sure. record is going to be better than all, pretty much all the teams ahead of them not named Baltimore Ravens. Um, yeah. Yep. For them to have the second best record in the AFC and having started five different quarterbacks this year is. And just the way the year has gone for them. Like, I've been here, I've gone to a lot of them, obviously, seen, like, it, it just doesn't seem like that's a team that with all their injuries and all that stuff would ever make the playoffs in the past. And somehow, some way, Stefanski deserves a lot of credit, man. Good for him. Good for it, this team. It's a late push for coach of the year, you know, it, yeah. because like, I still think it should be Steichen. Um, I, I just think, I think what Steichen's done with Gardner Minshew as his quarterback all year and that roster, especially if they end up making the playoffs, I, I think, I, hey, I think Steichen Demico deserves too, it. If they win. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's because it's whoever wins that game is is probably yeah. going to make the playoffs. Is that a win and get in for both teams? Uh, I feel, no, I feel there's like, like it's twelve different like, scenarios for the yeah, AFC see, South. There's too yeah. many. I tried. Like no one was able. Like, usually, you'll see like if this happens and this happens, there'll be like a chart breakdown. Nobody did one because it's just too convoluted. So, um, where's that yeah. guy? Where's the guy from the election, dude? You guys know him, Karnacki? Yeah, Karnacki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunday him. night. Sunday night when NBC's on the broadcast, he's going to give us a full a full Karnacki breakdown. It's, actually, I think NBC might have the Saturday night game too. Oh, I love that. Do they? Uh, no, they don't. It's really ESPN. ESPN is uh, Saturday games, and then uh, yeah, Karnacki's on uh, Sunday <laughs> Sunday night Bills Dolphins. Um, which at that point too, like that game, it's just I can't believe the Bills. <laughs> the Bills have a chance to either be the two seed or not be in at all. Uh, all right, so that's the good and the and the really good when we're talking about the Ravens. The bad, what the hell's going on in Denver, Vito? A lot of bad, a, a yeah. lot of bad. Um, so here's the deal. Our over under was at eight and a half wins before the season started, and I may or may have not have money on that. All right, we're at eight wins. And we're sitting here last week at seven and we're sitting there and we're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bench our starting quarterback. And I was like, what in the fucking world are we thinking right now? Yeah. We're going to go ahead and do that. Listen, you can put all the blame, whatever. I, I don't even know why people are saying Russ hasn't played that well. Obviously that's just like, you haven't watched his tape. Um, yeah. I've seriously. watched every game. I'm telling you right now, he's done his part for us to win games. Has he looked bad in a couple first halves? Absolutely. Um, if you want to say we're going to start with a different quarterback and switch to Russ, somehow that would make more sense than what we're doing now because this makes zero sense to me. Clearly, um, it's all because you know if he gets hurt, then they're guaranteed thirty-seven million kicks in yeah, on May, March, end of March, March first, whatever it is. They want him to play, but they want him to play for free. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, they they said yeah they want him to waive that right. They signed the deal. Um, it's business. And I think this is the frustrating part of the business aspect of the sport, right? Where it's like, Hey, we will go ahead and, and realize that we might've made a rough deal and we want you to play and want us to win. But in order to do that, all the risk is going to be on you, even though you played well enough in your career to earn a contract where you had no risk on your side. 
and having the GM go like this to me is bad faith um, on negotiation. I really despise this. This is like, if someone did this to me in my industry, I would tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. And I would walk off like th- just straight up. I'm telling you right now, if this happened in a lot of other industries, if you were Russ or your company was Russell Wilson, like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do this, but your bonding won't work and all that. That's not how this works, right? Stick to the contract. You signed it. The problem is then they have the power to bench him and make him do nothing. And that is where the Broncos are acting um, really in uh, just having poor judgment at the general management spot, which George Patton, I, I like, but this is another, like, I think another moment here this year where I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I love the ownership, love the coach. Um, I'm surprised this is coming from an ownership group that just paid out the ass for everything because really, are we really worried about 37 million or is this the GM trying to stick it to Russ? And that's where I'm getting really frustrated because I stole this bet out and we still need one more win. God damn the playoffs. I don't care. Some of us have money on this. Reward your Broncos fans. This is the thing. In today's game, coaches should know the over the spreads in their games and they should know the over-under wins on their team. If you want a loyal fan base, just look into those. Th- look at Lane Kiffin. Beat the shit out of Penn State this past weekend. He knew the spread from the start. It was hilarious. Apparently, there's a quote of him saying, like, what are we for this many favorites? Yeah, we're going to beat that. Like, he knew. Um, point is, I don't think any of that's in Denver. Listen, I hope you squeak out the win, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a new GM. Although, again, he, he's done well up to this point. I'm just frustrated with some of this stuff. Russell's on him. But again, I, I don't actually hate that move all in all. Um, but to make that move, you have to be so strong-willed and stick with it. And to argue over $37 million when we have billionaires, we have Condoleezza Rice and Lewis Hamilton and the Walmart family and Peyton and John Elway's in the building. And we're doing all of this to, and we're hurting our quarterback. Like clearly someone's not listening to someone else in that room. So <clears throat> frustration from the front office. I hope this doesn't boil over to the offseason. Um, we're not as bad as other franchises. I realize we're very lucky that a winning record is considered bad for us, considering we started one and five. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a pretty, pretty good spot right now. And, uh, hopefully we can get that. Uh, if we can get the win, the season for me will be a success as Sean Payton's first all in all. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think that's a pretty fair way to sum it up in terms of the, the front office, the rust asking him to sit out. Um, or to waive his contract. I, I think that's super shitty and super shady. Like, you know, it might seem like old man talk, but like, look, you, my dad, this is like my, my dad's all-time favorite expression is you lay in the bed you make, right? The Broncos gave Russell Wilson this contract. When that trade happened, I said, Vito, I think you and I did a podcast. I was at the beach the day that it happened. And I said, like, this is a bad trade. Like, I, I to me, it's like I the decline of Russ is starting. And I understand the, what the raw numbers tell us. Russ hasn't been good. He hasn't been bad, but he also hasn't been good. He's been like kind of just there. And him and Sean Payton have been butting heads the entire season, right? They clearly don't get along. Payton clearly doesn't like Russ. And he limited their offense to such an extreme degree that a lot of the raw numbers look good. Out of qualified quarterbacks, which is meaning they've taken 55, 50% or more of the highest number of dropbacks that any quarterback has taken. So it's 27 quarterbacks. He ranks 18th in passing rate as, as, as a passer in his overall grades. You said it earlier, right? Earlier in the year. Quick passes, easy passes, and then on third down, let him scramble around and and try to make a big play every once in a while. And that was their whole offense. 
That's not a sustainable, good, high-quality offense in the NFL. It's one that you're trying to survive because you know that the situation with the quarterback and the head coach and the offense is not clicking. And credit to Russ for being like, I'm going to run the offense the way I'm being coached to run it. He deserves mad props for that, especially after Mm -hmm. everything he did to try to get the the GM fired in Seattle and try to get Pete Carroll fired and the whole let let Russ cook and the Mr. Unlimited and all the crap he was doing at the end of his tenure in, in Seattle. It took a, he had to eat a big old slice of humble pie, you know, but he's in the likes right now in terms of, you know, his passing grades throughout the season of like Baker Mayfield, Kenny Pickett, Justin Fields, Derek Carr, you know, none of those guys were set. And Fields, obviously, the second half of this season has been a lot better. But for the most part of the season, yeah. Yeah. And, and Russ has, again, has shown signs of being a much better quarterback as the season came on. But a lot of those wins weren't because Russ was playing unbelievable football. The majority of those wins were because the defense was forcing turnovers left and right like crazy. And so the the more that the defenses are turning the ball over, you know, finding ways to get them, just the turnover battle in general, if you get two turnovers, the other team doesn't have any, you're going to win that game more often than not. Like the numbers heavily skew the team that forces multiple turnovers in a game. And that's what that winning streak is, was and what we saw. But to Russ's credit, he also wasn't turning the ball over and he was running the offense the way it was to be asked. I understand from the perspective of you have to limit this stuff, right? At, at some point in time, you have to make sure that you like, you, you have to get out of this cap situation and cutting him and what that's going to do to them next year is going to be crazy. There's no way they're going to be able to trade him. I don't even know how it's going to work with the dead cap money. They obviously have an unlimited bankroll, but at the same time, there's going to be at some point a dead cap hit. And I'm sure financial wizards who work in the NFL front office, they're going to find a way to do it. I don't think his play justifies the way that they treated him. They kind of did the impossible for me, who's been a known disliker of Russell Wilson, which is that I actually I feel really bad for Russ. And I I hate the way that this has kind of gone, especially for a guy with the resume that he has. But he also hasn't been great. You know, he's he's been okay. He's been closer to mediocre than he's been good. He's just he has been better than any quarterback we have played since Peyton Manning retired. That's also that is. But it's also a very low bar. It is. But to me, I guess this is the problem is that if you're 18th or you're mid tier in the NFL, I'm okay with like we can win with that with this defense. People remember we were one in five. If we and we easily could have won two of those games in the last place. If we were three and three, just think about this. We'd be in, we'd be in 10 and six. We'd be in the playoff right now. We would it would be no problem. We'd be finishing up this game and we'd be talking about Russ and the playoff push. And the only reason it switched is because of. It, it, you can literally put it right on Sean Payton for coaching on two of those decisions in the games. And that's where I, I think that like my point is, I can't believe out of all these discussion points, Russ just staying another year is like seems unfathomable to most of the pundits that you hear talk. And I guess I'm just saying like from a Broncos fan perspective, I would much rather see Russ back than to go through a fucking rotating carousel again and lose a bunch of Pro Bowl players because we need to get draft picks and like, we're not trading Bradley Chubb to Miami if this t- deal doesn't suck year one. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that's reality. No, and look, I agree with you too. Like I, to me, like running it back another year with Russ to us and like what we've seen from the outside makes plenty of sense. You're like, all right, yeah, you're a couple snaps away. You're, you're going to finish potentially as a team with a winning record, which is an, an impressive considering where they were a year ago. I agree. I think the first year that, you know, Sean, Sean Payton's first year, 
No question it's a step up from where we were a year ago. I don't think the relationship between Russell Wilson and the Broncos is tenable enough given what mm-hmm. happened this year. And specifically, you know, like Sean Payton doesn't have his hands all over the, the front office. You know, the front office is realizing, hey, we probably made a massive mistake with this. And we're going to try to figure out a way out because that's kind of what their job to do is to, is to put the best team possible on the field and to to get as much cap space as you can, given where they're at with this financial situation with Russell Wilson. But Sean Payton's job is to also try to put out the best possible product to win football games. Right. And for most of the season, that has been Russ. But if his relationship with Russ is that tainted and that broken, then there's only so much that you can do, you know, and at that point, it feels like the relationship between Russ and the head coach and Russ and the front office has kind of deteriorated to the point where I don't know if there's really much you can do to come back from this other than probably trying to move on from him in the offseason. And you're not going to get a team to trade for that contract. You might be able to work out some sort of deal where you cut him and then he signs somewhere else. And then the t- rest of the team has to pick up his contract. There's a bunch of different, you know, things and Schefter will come on and explain all the details and be like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that because there's a million rules in the front office. But, you know, to me, it's, it, I do think the first season was a success. And I, at the same time, I think I can say that a lot of those wins and a lot of the best moments that we saw from Russ had a lot more to do with the way the defense was playing and generating those turnovers, generating turnovers there's also a lot of luck involved and turnover luck is a real thing. We've talked about it on this podcast a bunch of times. So I think they're just in a very unique spot where they're tied to Russ financially. I don't think the front office or the coaching staff really wants Russ to be there long-term anymore. And how this plays out in the off season is going to be absolutely fascinating because it's, it feels borderline unprecedented, especially now that we're in this era where quarterbacks are getting even bigger deals than they've gotten in the past without the cap going up exponentially like we saw you know in the nba where oh the cap went up and now all these players are making you know 50 million dollars a year you know russ is making a ton of money but they're also not quite seeing the overall you know production that they probably were hoping for um that they saw from russ so it's it's a weird spot to be in but as we know like the cap doesn't feel real you know the saints have been doing it for so long the, the rams and everything with theirs and they'll figure out a way to get under and and There'll be a big story and we'll do a whole podcast about what happens with the future of Russell Wilson. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we've seen the last of Russell Wilson in a Broncos uniform. Um, Scotty, anything else you want to add on the Russell Wilson stuff? No, no, not really. I mean, it is, it's just shady to me. Um, and, and, and I disagree with what the the front office is doing. Like, uh, like you said, Vito, it's just a, uh, it's a really weird situation um, that, uh, you know, and, and, and I wonder too, if it deters, uh, like if this does come out in the offseason, like if it deters uh, free agents from coming, uh, regardless of the fact that Sean Payton is there um, coming to Denver because the, the front office looks uh, looks really skeevy. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, all right. Last thing here before we take a break, the ugly. The collapse of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, the last time we were all on the pod. I said, there's no way in hell the Eagles should be a 13 and a half point favorite against any team in the NFL before they played the New York Giants. And they tried their darndest to lose that game. Uh, held on for a win, only to then show up against the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday and lose an absolutely inexcusable game. Um, and I believe when I said that, Vito, you, you gave me a little guff, you know, which yeah, is, I did. hey, 
you know, hey, you're still in team, the playoffs. You're still in the playoffs. They were ten win team. You know, all this stuff can't. Th- there is something broken with this team right now. And, There's some And at at this point, it's 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 undeniable. You know, and and it's been this way. The way this team has looked in the last five weeks is not too dissimilar to the way they looked at earlier parts in the season, right? There were definitely much higher highs in other parts during the season. The defense in particular comes to mind. The defensive line in particular comes to mind. And what we've seen over the last five weeks has definitely not hit those same peaks that we saw with the teams earlier in the season. What we did see early in the season was a team that was consistently shooting themselves in the foot, a team that was consistently putting themselves behind the eight ball, a team that has consistently struggled to just play sound, fundamental, clean football. We are now in going into week 18. None of that has been fixed. And eventually, and this is what, when all my friends have been, I've been talking to man, what happened to the Eagles? What's going on with the birds, man? What's happening? I've been asked that question about 20 times in the last couple of weeks. And the response to it is is the same, which is that they are an unbelievably talented football team, arguably the second most talented team in the NFL. Coaching, there seems to be disconnects. I don't know if it's Sirianni's voice isn't getting through. I don't know if it's the play calling. I don't know if it's the play design. I have my own theories. What I will say is that for as talented as they were, they were able to overcome small mistakes for the majority of the season. And we saw the comebacks, the game against Kansas City, where they got, you know, MVS drops that ball on, on, the, on the last drive for Kansas City, and the Eagles sneak out of there with a win somehow, some way. The game against Buffalo, obviously, one of the best games of the year. That game was insane. The fact that the Eagles came back and won that game was legitimately crazy. Um, and we've hit a point now where a team shot themselves too many times in the foot that the talent was not good enough to overcome the mistakes they made throughout the game. I think there are injuries all across the board. I think not like big injuries, but like little nicks, little tears, little strains here and there that guys are trying to play through. But there's undeniably at this point, there's no question about it. This team is is broken. And maybe the Cardinals loss is the thing that snaps them out of it. AJ Brown's press conference last week was, you know, was really, you know, or yesterday rather was really impressive. Um, and, and talking about it and, and seeming like, hey, we're going to kind of galvanize this team up here. But, you know, even the video that came out of announcing the Pro Bowlers yesterday and Sirianni's reading off the list of all the guys who made the Pro Bowl during a team meeting, the social team cut did cuts of each player's reaction to hearing their name. There was no smiles. I mean, Kelsey smiled. He was the first name. But then after that, everyone just looked miserable. The body language has been absolutely terrible. The defense is awful. All the stuff with Desai and Matt Patricia is just like, it's so weird and, and unconventional. And it's clear this team is is not a unit right now. Um, the regression from Jalen has 100% happened. He's not seeing the field the way he did last year. Uh, I, I think some of the play design stuff feels really stale, feels very boring, feels very slow and clunky. And then, of course, de- defensively, like, what happened to Josh Sweat? You know, where, where's Josh Sweat been? Why is Hassan Reddick spending the entire second half of that game? Almost almost half of his total snaps in that game against Arizona, Hassan Reddick dropped back into coverage. <laughs> I mean, that is that is coaching malpractice, right? Yeah. This is a team with as much talent along the defensive line as, as we've seen anybody. 
And, and it feels as though some of the decisions that whether it be from the front office, whether it be from the coaching staff, it, it feels like what we've seen is a team that is just falling apart and whatever awesome fun culture was there last year feels completely non-existent. That feels like an eon ago. That's been that long. And there's a million things. I, my, my stance on it is I'm kind of over the anger. I'm kind of over the frustration about it because I've been saying this for a month. I've been saying this since the beginning of December, this team is broken and, and they'll figure it out. You know, at, at some point, maybe it's next year, maybe it's online. There's too much talent, but it's not going to happen this year. And that's okay. Like they, they had a chance to still, the, the division was theirs. All they had to do was beat Arizona, beat New York. They're the two seed. You lose to Arizona at home on new year's Eve. And then I don't know what's going to happen this week because they need to win this game still. Like they, I, I think they're pretty much locked into the five seed, no matter what, like, I don't think they can do worse than that, but then, all right, Hey, you got to go on the road and, and go play Tampa Bay. That's not a gimme for the way this team's been playing. There's no shot that this that's a gimme for the way this team's been playing. And so I, for as much as I love the team and I, I love Jalen and I love AJ Brown, I love these guys. You can just see it on the field. Like it's, it's abundantly clear, you know, from the body language alone, like there's something wrong with this. And as much as I love Jalen and I love the, the stoicism in big time moments at some point, I just want to see you give a shit. Like at some point I want to see Jalen hurts, get mad. I want to see Jalen hurts, Get excited when a big play happens. I and know he's the thermometer. Sometimes the temperature changes, man. Sometimes it's cold outside and you got to turn the temperature up inside. Sometimes it's <laughs> hot outside and you got to keep it cool it down a little bit. The temperature, like you're the thermostat. All right, be the thermostat. Adjust to what's going on around you and adjust to what your team needs. Because this Joe Cool, we have all the pieces. It's another learning experience. It's it's the Andy Reid got to do a better job thing all over again, which Philly fans fucking hate it by the end of Andy Reid's tenure. It was this, he gave nothing about it. And being Joe Cool is important in big moments. But at the same time, you got to show the people that you care. Because, you know, he is stoic. He is stone, you know, when he's out there. He doesn't show emotions. And that is awesome in the Super Bowl in high leverage moments when he's leading you down a, a drive to tie the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs like he did less than a year ago. But in moments like this, you, like being a leader is not always just being the steady hand. It's knowing how to get your guys fired up and knowing when to be the calm guy. Like you got to be able to do both. And right now it feels like we're only getting Joe cool. We're only getting calm Jalen. I need to see a little more fire. I need to see them come out and feel like they give a shit because the Eagles fans, we're talking about the most passionate fan base in all of football. Eagles fans are tired of this team. Like it's not even like, like this vibe feels worse than the end of the Doug Peterson stuff because at the end of the Doug stuff, the team was four and 11 and we were like, all right, this is it. Like it's going to be done. We know this is the end of Doug. We were all frustrated, but we were like, all right, it's time to move on. You know, this is a team that was in the Super Bowl a year ago. This is a team that could have had the one in seed. The playoffs. Yeah, yeah. They're in the playoffs. This is a team that as of five days ago was in the running to be the two seed and to host two multiple playoff games. And now it doesn't feel like this team has any, like obviously they do, but it doesn't feel like this team has any interest. And, and this, the Eagles fans are pissed, man. Like the Eagles fans went from being frustrated to angry, to really angry to now, honestly, apathetic. 
Like, and that's the feeling that sucks is that feeling of apathy where you're like, I just, I, I knew what was going to happen in the Giants game. I was sitting there with my family watching the game and I said, I know what's going to happen. They're going to blow this first half lead and it's going to become way too close of a game. The game against Arizona, I said the same thing at halftime. They're up 20 to six. I know Arizona's going to come back. They haven't been able to stop them at all. Arizona continues to go down and run the ball down their throats. It was the worst defensive performance the Eagles have had in 17 years. Their defensive win rate was 40.1. It was the lowest it's been in 17 years. And, and at this point, it's like the fans know what's coming. It feels like the defense knows what's coming and there's just nothing they can do to stop it. So things are bad in Philly. There's no, no doubt about it. Things are bad. And we'll, we'll see if, if, you know, they, they get a spark and they turn it around here in the second half, uh, you know, or not second half and into the playoffs. But at this point, it, it does feel like too little too late. And it feels like they're heading for a first round exit. Until they are dead and buried this season, this team has way too much talent for me to count them out at all. And this week for AJ Brown to come out and say, don't blame the coaches who, uh, who, Nick Sirianni like bald face lies to the media on purpose to protect his players, which respect the shit out of that. Um, but like he also brings them in behind closed doors and is like putting their arm around him and be like, Hey buddy, you suck. Yeah, <laughs> We got to figure this out. Right. That's that to me is a sign of a team that like, yeah, it, it it's, it's coaching at, at some level. There's plays that even, you know, you complain about the defense. I get it. Matt Patricia's been there for calling plays for all of, what, three weeks? There's stuff that they're they're operating on that they don't understand um, that Matt Patricia has implemented that um, that th- they've just been working with for three games. So, like, I get it. Um, it's frustrating, I-, I can imagine. But there's so much talent on that team, and they're starting to be accountable for each other that I- I'm – I, until they are dead and buried this season. And even then, I, I am not counting them out by any means. I, they're just too good talent-wise. And I and they know what they've got, in, especially on offense. Um, and if that can make up for, for a lot of the, the miscues on defense, um, then then so be it. Uh, but there's just too much talent for me to, to, to write them off. Oh, I'll he is on mute. Ooh. Oh, we've been bad. I saying I'm just an optimist. Um, you are. So, so that's where I'm like, you know what, if I'm looking at all the team, like which team has a very high ceiling, you'll still do. But yeah, that uh-huh. defense, man, something needs to drastically change. Like, I, I don't know what that is. I have no idea. Um, I hope they can figure it out. Yeah. And to try to change it in, in a week <laughs> is, uh, it's well, likely, not, it's likely like, not that you yeah, you, use this, this as a point. Tune-up. Use this as a tune up. I don't care. I don't care if on first down, like to your point, if they've locked in five or six, wherever they're at, I don't care if you punt on first down. I want to see you try. I want to see you get the most amount of defensive snaps you can, not like tire your guys out, but like try some shit, bro. You know, yeah. maybe be a little more experimental on offense and just get a bunch of defensive reps. I don't know, man. Well, there's still a chance they can get the two seed. If Washington oh, beats, boys to, yeah. if Washington beats Dallas, which is not likely to happen, but if Washington were to do that, like they did last year, then there is a chance the Eagles can still get the two seed. Um, mm-hmm. 
so yeah, it's look, it's 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 a bummer. It's just it's a bummer of a year, you know, to go from ten and one and and pulling off all these like this team never dies stuff. And we were so con- and at some point I remember hopping on being like, I don't have words anymore for how they keep doing this. It's unbelievable. And I think the words we should have been saying more so was like, why do they keep putting themselves in these situations for the amount of talent that they have? Because they should have been able to put a lot of these games away that they just haven't done. And it's been that way all year, you know. Um, the second half for this team has been bad. And I w- we'll again, we'll see what happens. Maybe they come out and win by 30 against New York and people start to buy in again. But I can tell you the Eagles fans in my life and, and Vito and Scott, and you guys both have them in yours too. It's it's not a feeling of, well, they'll turn it around. It's It's not even anger. It's just this team just kind of stinks right now. And for the amount of talent they have, it's it's inexcusable. And I, you know, Josina Anderson had some weird cryptic tweet about like keep an eye out for multiple coaching changes in the NFC East this offseason. I would be shocked if the Eagles fired Sirianni. I, I really would. Um, but at the same time, like if things are really this bad and the locker room really feels this like broken then, you know, there may not be a way to come back from that. And that's so who's who knows, you know, and how much of, of the success last year do you give to, hey, Shane Steichen running that offense, designing the plays, being the play caller versus, hey, Sirianni, you're the head coach. This is your offense. You are an offensive guy and your offense is, you know, shit. And, and the defense, you're just handing it off. I mean, that is such like a, a young coach move to to fire to side, but not actually fire to side, but just change like play calling responsibilities and to move them to the box, which is basically saying, Hey, I'm demoting you, but I'm not going to say you're getting demoted because you're still listed as the defensive coordinator. It's, it's just weird. It's a lot of bad vibes in Philly as we head into the playoffs. But um, the nice thing is my expectations are very low, which means if (laughs) five low expectations, you can't hurt me. Can't hurt me Eagles. And that's uh, that's where I, all right, let's take a quick break. And then we come back. We'll run through our picks final picks of the regular season and uh, we'll go over some of our preseason picks to see where we fared uh, going into week 18. So all that on the other side. All right, time to do our picks for week 18 and the national championship. And uh, before we do that though, I'm going to run through as we, as we approach week 18, let's see how we did. Let's, let's do a little, little, and we'll, we'll revisit again next week too. And we'll see exactly how many we got right. But um, our picks for MVP, Offensive, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year, and Coach of the Year. Uh, Scotty, your MVP was Mahomes. Vito, Ugh. you had <laughs> Vito had Josh Allen, and I Still had might La- happen. So, and then I had Lamar. So Ooh. I'm, I think I'm looking good there. Uh, mm. Offensive Player of the Year, Scotty, you had Christian McCaffrey, which is might definitely happen. a possibility. Vito, you had Garrett Wilson. <laughs> Great year, but you know that wasn't his. That was you were screwed after Yikes. week one on that. <laughs> and then uh, I had Tyree after Kill. three plays. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and then I had I had Tyree Kill. So there's a chance that me or Scotty might hit that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensive player of the year, Scotty. You had Nick Bosa. Vito, you had your boy Pat Sertan, and I had Micah Parsons. So probably none of those is going to win. TJ, I don't know. Who, I would who's say TJ Watt. You think? Yeah. Especially if he know. breaks the sack record this week. Is he on pace too? Yeah. He's a wow. big week. I think he can do it though. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot to play for too. Uh offensive rookie of the year. Scott, you had Bryce Young. Vito. Yeah. <laughs> Vito, you had Bijan. 
and I had <laughs> CJ Stroud. Stroud. That's so a lot. I, I could go three for four. No, you could bank four. that one. <laughs> uh, defensive rookie of the year, Scotty. You had Emmanuel Forbes. Yikes! Yikes! Vito, you had Christian Gonzalez, who was playing really well until Banged he got up, hurt. Though, yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, and then I had Jalen Carter, who is currently minus five fifty to win defensive rookie of the year. Um, Dang, Jeff. So I could go four for five with those. Uh, coach of the year, Scotty. You had Robert Salah. Uh, Vito, you had Dougie. so three snaps. <laughs> Vito had Dougie P, and I had Mike Tomlin. So none. Of, I don't okay. think any of us are getting Coach of the Year. No. Uh, but I guess I'm pretty impressed. I I did pretty well on that. I mean, we'll we'll see how the awards shake out. But I'm pretty impressed with that. Uh, and then our the way we had our standings, uh, Scotty, you went Philly, San Fran, Minnesota, Atlanta, and then wild cards Dallas, Seattle, and Detroit. So not not terrible. Looks like you you, you have three locks and then maybe or four <laughs> locks and then maybe a fifth if Seattle gets in. Um, Vito, you had Philly, San Fran, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Dallas, Minnesota, and Seattle. So you're looking pretty good. You had five Tampa out Bay of seven. Ain't Detroit. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had Philly, Detroit, San Francisco, Atlanta, and then Seattle, the Giants. And then I had Dallas as the seven seed. Oh boy, I forgot that I I forgot I picked the Giants to to sneak in. Giants there in the NFC. Uh, Scotty for the AFC, you had Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore, Jacksonville, and then Cincy, Denver, and Cleveland. I got Cleveland right. Yeah, you were the only one that picked Cleveland. Uh, Vito, you had Buffalo as the one seed, and then Kansas City, Baltimore, Jacksonville. And then you had the Jets, Cincy, and Denver. Yikes. So uh, I guess, yeah, because Cincy's Funny. out and Den- Denver's out too, right, mm-hmm. officially. So none of the wild cards were right. Um, but you could you could get the four divisions right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I had Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo, Jacksonville. And then I had Cincy, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Okay. So there's a chance that there's there's a chance that I I could get, get I, yeah. I could get six of seven there because yeah. Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh can still make it and uh, the only one I would have gotten wrong was then uh, Miami. So who uh, knows about the Jags? Yeah, and who then we, we have, all yeah. Do we do Super Bowl picks? So NFC Championship game, we all had San Francisco and Philly. Okay. Um, I took me and Scotty took San Francisco. You took Philly, and then sure. AFC. Uh, Scotty had Kansas City, Buffalo. Vito had Baltimore and Jacksonville, and then I also, and then I had Cincinnati and Buffalo. Uh, and S- Scotty, you had Buffalo making it. Vito had Baltimore making it, and then I had Cincinnati making it. And then Super Bowl, Scotty had San Francisco and Buffalo still alive. Uh, Vito play. had Va- uh, you had San Fran winning. Uh, Vito, you had Baltimore and Philly with Philly winning the Super Bowl. And then I had Cincy and San Francisco with Cincinnati winning the Super Bowl. So, so yeah. I'm the only one alive, really. For, well, I guess the Eagles. V- yeah. yeah, I was gonna say technically whoa, whoa, v- whoa. Vito's still alive. The math yeah, checks no. out, bro. You were right. You were right. You, you're <laughs> yeah. the first time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that those were our preseason <laughs> picks. Like I said, we'll we'll refinish that and we'll see. We'll do a full tally once we get our because again, we some like I could have like four right, or I could have like the five right or six of the seven right so we'll we'll re, uh revisit that on on tuesday's pod uh 
Uh, but for Week 18, let's jump into the games. Uh, we start off with two games on Saturday, Steelers and Ravens and the Texans and Colts. Baltimore will be uh, – oh, also, actually, real quick before we do that, let's take a look at our record tracker. Um, so as of right now, we're all evened up. Everyone has the appropriate number of games in. Um, and Vito took the lead on me in Week 17 – he has a half point lead overall. Vito's at 27 and a half points. I am at 27 points. Scotty's at 25 points. So overall, and it comes down I to that, uh, that tiebreaker. The, the I made a late charge. It comes down to ties. Your boy worships ties. They're doing the push, your boy yeah. well at the end of the year. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, made Scotty, a late charge, but I, I, even if I go 3-0 and and you guys both go undefeated, I don't think I can win. Really? If you go three and zero, and none of us like, get it right, per, win percentage wise, yeah. Uh, no, because we would have if, if we all get three, you would be twenty eight, twenty four, and two. Oh, it's because he lost. He doesn't have as many ties. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So let's count ties. Find another way to screw me this year. Also, oh, I did it. I did it wrong. I sorry, Vito. You have twenty nine and a half points. I have twenty nine. Okay. Scotty okay. has. Scotty has twenty seven. Or 26. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, the best is. Scotty could do is finish second because mm-hmm. of that one. And that's the same that whatever push that was, it was the week, week 16. You had one extra push. And uh I'm yeah. week 15. Congrats uh, yeah. on getting it mediocrely right. Yeah. Thank you. That was that was well done, guys. <laughs> um, but overall, what Scotty, does that make you? Scotty on the locks is 25, 24, and two. <laughs> I'm 27, 20, and four, and Vito is 27, 19, and five. Uh, overall, however, uh, Scotty one fourteen ninety six and fourteen. Good and clip. It is. Uh, I am one thirty four one oh six and fifteen, leading the way. Uh, that's pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Fifty five percent, almost oh, almost fifty six percent on the year. I'll I'll take that any day. And then Vito ninety three ninety one and eleven. Overall, which, yeah, yeah. That's. Hey. Uh, well, I'm below 500 by actually, two games. Because no, we don't have your, oh, because you didn't put in picks for those games. Yep, I have so, a couple missing weeks. Yeah, early we, on. Yeah, you you caught up on the locks for the weeks that you didn't have any picks in. That's right. That's right. So um, I'm just hoping. Here's my hope is to stay above 500 in this and win in the locks. It's like in in soccer when you might not win your league, but you win like a trophy in some other thing. Cup, That's yeah. what I'm trying to do here. In yeah. season trophy. Yeah, yeah last yeah. week you were like the Lakers. Going into this past week, you were 84, 84, and 11. <laughs> so you were right on the verge, right on the verge. Uh, and you're, but hey, we're all above 500, which I think is the first time that's happened going into week 18. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, overall, for having picked every single game this year, almost 55% clip, that's pretty good. I'll, I'll take that. That's great. Um, all right, let's move in now. Week 18, Steelers, Ravens, Texans, Colts kick us off on Saturday. Steelers are a four-point favorite. The Ravens are uh, resting their starters. And the Steelers have been playing some pretty good football. Mason Rudolph has been lighting it up. What do you, what do you guys think here? Do you think the Ravens kind of fall flat? Do you think Tyler Huntley looks a little rusty? Uh, or do you think the Ravens find a way to pull this game out? Oh, man. I, Ravens are resting. So the thing is, Steelers have something to play for, to your point. They still have a playoff game to win. I think they can do it. Now they're four point favorites at Baltimore. 
I know they're resting everybody. Man, I kind of want to take the Ravens to cover the four points. It feels like it feels like it's divisional. They're gonna care. I, I'm flip flop. Where are you going, Jeff? This is tough for me because I, I I can see the Ravens easily covering four just by their sheer dominance on the lines. But and, and so and that's the thing, right? Is like how many guys are the Ravens resting? Because the Ravens have had so many injuries, like I, we're not going to see Lamar, we're not going to see OBJ, we're not going to see. We might see like Gus Edwards play a little bit, right? Some of the running backs you might see play, uh, maybe Zay Flowers, but probably not a lot of Zay Flowers. The bigger, the bigger question to me is who on the defense is playing? Because if they're resting, you know, Kyle Hamilton's been had an injury since the San Francisco game. No way that we're going to see Kyle Hamilton in this game. I think Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen. I think they rest those guys. I think this is not going to be the Ravens defense we're used to. And I think the Steelers have been hitting on the outside, Like Marlon Humphrey's another good example, like really good cornerback, a little long in the tooth. You want to make sure he's rested going into the playoffs. I, I kind of like the Steelers here, especially like the Steelers just, they beat the Ravens earlier in the season. The Steelers are just always play the Ravens well, and they have a lot to play for while they're like, if they win, they have a chance to make the postseason. The Ravens, there's nothing to play for. I think they're going to start, a lot less starters than we realize. And I think that's the way to read into a lot of this stuff is where's the line. If there's a team that's resting starters, how much does the line move? Right? Cause if, if the Ravens were starting their full lineup, the Ravens would be what a seven and a half to 10, seven and a half to nine and a half point favorite somewhere in there, <laughs> you know, like a divisional game. I don't think it's double digits, especially with how well the Steelers have played the last couple of weeks. So we're talking about like, a potential two touchdown swing from where this line is now to where it would be if the Ravens were starting all their guys. That tells me that Vegas knows that the Ravens are not playing anybody, which tells me I'm going to take the Steelers. So I'm going to take the Steelers minus four. An absolute disrespect uh, to put the Ravens as a dog in any scenario here, because look, and I'll compare these two games, right? Ravens are at home. They're four point dogs against the Steelers, who are a worse team than the Rams, who are uh, four-point dogs in San Francisco, who's resting all their starters, too. So, Jeff, the Ravens, don't they have enough depth to to cover the four points against a team that isn't as good as, as a, a certified playoff team in, in the Rams? Uh, guess what, bud? And I know the scenarios are different because the Rams are sitting guys, too, because they've already clinched a playoff spot. But look, the Ravens are good. And you disrespect them like that in a divisional game. They've already lost to Pittsburgh this year on the road. They're not going to let Pittsburgh come in and roll them in Baltimore. Give me the Ravens. It's fair, man. I kind of want to bet a push. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take the Ravens. I'm going to take the Ravens to go with my gut. That's who I was thinking earlier. Um, and and I don't. I, these are also games where you may not have a lot of reasons why. Sometimes you got to go with your gut because who the fuck knows who's even playing. <laughs> That's what happened in the, the New Orleans and Tampa Bay game last week. I was like, I just, this is a terrible line. Like, of course, that whenever a t- one team from the NFC South looked good, they were going to look like shit the next week. And then that's what we saw out of Tampa Bay. So, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you. There. Uh, all right. Saturday night, Texans minus one and a half at the Colts. This is almost guaranteed for a playoff spot. Like a lot of stuff can happen. Um, but both teams have a lot to play for here. This game is going to be awesome. I can't wait for this game on Saturday night. Uh, Texans, one and a half point favorite in Indy. I have no idea where to go in this one, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, this is tough. I 
I'm going to take Houston. I, I don't love it because I do think that like Steichen and them, like they've showed up, but like the way that CJ Stroud has performed in big moments and you think back to his college career, that game against Georgia a year ago, the big moments are when, and, and the pressure moments, that's when CJ Stroud has proven to be his best. So I'm going to take CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans to win and to cover this one and a half point spread. Yeah, I'm going to take the quarterback that's better, both clean and under pressure, and makes more big time throws and less turnover worthy throws. And that's CJ Stroud over Gardner Minshew. I'm taking the Texans. Um, yeah. Thanks and, for the line being so close. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, you're going to be able to run the ball against the Colts um, as well. And that's that's one of the parts of the game that without CJ Stroud in the lineup uh, for, for that stretch where he was out, the Texans got really good. Um, so uh, I, I think they'll be able to run the ball a little bit more, uh, a lot more at stake for Houston to win this game. The Colts can still get in even if they lose because uh, it's more likely that uh, that they get in with some of the teams behind them, like the Pittsburgh has to lose too. Um, and I see that as more of a possibility than uh, than Indianapolis losing and and Pittsburgh winning. So in any case, it's more convoluted. They can get in if they lose. They can clinch the division if they win. They can be a playoff team if they win. This is Houston's only shot is to win. And so I'm going to take the the team that that absolutely needs it uh, with the with the talent they have on their roster, being able to run the ball and what CJ Stroud's doing. I'm going to lock it up. Lock in the Texans. I love wow. that. I thought about I'm that, locking man. the Texans I, because I think so many other games are so unknown. Yeah. I actually feel like I know both these teams are going to try hard, but I believe in this quarterback and I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, another game moving to Sunday. That's going to be a complete unknown. The Browns at the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals are seven point favorite at home. And the Browns, again, if the Browns are playing their full starters, probably think this is at least six and a half to nine and a half, somewhere in that zone type of spread. So we're looking at like a 10 point swing minimum. Um, if, if probably actually more than that, probably closer to two touchdowns uh, comparatively. So again, that tells you, I think the Browns are resting a lot of guys this week. Obviously no Flacco. We're going to get Jeff Driscoll, which anytime we've seen the Jeff Driscoll experience, it has not been great. So, uh, yeah, don't don't love that. Um, but I am going to take uh, Cincinnati here. It's a lot of points, I know. But I, I to me, I think the Browns, again, another team was banged up. We'll see some starters play, maybe a half. But, I, you know, these week 18 games, especially for people who've locked it up, especially for wild card teams that have locked it up, like there is no incentive for them to play. Yeah, and they you know don't get going the, on the road and they don't end, you know, they don't get a bye week, you know, Baltimore, San Francisco, they're going to get that bye week. That's an extra week of rest for them. The Browns need to take advantage of this week. So I, I, I think we'll see very limited guys. I'm going to take the Bengals minus seven. It's a lot of points, but I, I think it makes the most sense. It is a lot of points. I will remind you of this. I, I had to look up Jeff Driscoll's stats uh, because obviously I didn't know them. His last time he played, last year was with the Texans. He threw for 108 yards and a touchdown and had a 99% rating did not play the full game. <laughs> so overall, uh, and he hadn't played the year before that, right? He just doesn't have the experience. He's a through and through backup in the NFL um, from 2016. But what we saw this year is that that can actually get you to some good places. I'm gonna take the Browns to cover. I think a full touchdown is a lot. It's divisional. I think these guys hate each other. This, the second string, all that stuff. 
Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and take them. I definitely, again, this is, this is a toss up to me, but I'm going to go with the Browns. I'm going to roll with the Bengals too. Um, I just think with, with Jeff Driscoll in, uh, they're not going to be able to move the ball a whole heck of a lot, especially that offensive line has been beaten up too. That's another spot where they're going to be resting a ton of guys in Cleveland. Uh, Jake Browning is good at home. He's, Three starts there. He's two and one, 78 or 71% completion, five to three touchdown interception ratio, and 103.8 passer rating. If Jamar and or T. Higgins play, and I expect one or both of them will probably play for a good amount of the game, especially T. Higgins, because he's probably on the way out. Um, I would expect that they they can cover the touchdown um with that uh with at least some weaponry in the uh, in the offense, uh uh Mixon included. Uh, so I'm going to take the Bengals too. All right. Uh, let's move on. Up next, Vikings at Lions. The Detroit Lions are three and a half point favorites. The Lions do still have something to play for in this game because I, I think theoretically they could get the two seed still. I don't think they're locked into the three seed yet. Uh, it's also not in Dan Campbell's, you know, nature to 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 rest guys he's going to be especially after what happened last week um and this is going to be my first lock of the week i'm going to take the lions minus three and a half i do think they're not going to play everybody um but i think after what we saw from jaron hall last week and i don't know if they're going to go back to nick mullins or what the quarterback situation is there for the vikings whatever it is it's not going to be pretty uh and i think the lions you know they're not going to start everybody like I said, I'm kind of in just because, again, if they were starting everybody, I think the Lions would be closer to a seven and a half to a 10 point favorite somewhere in that more than a touchdown touchdown zone. Um, but again, if it's more Jaron Hall and that defense needs a ton of reps here, too, I think the Lions win this game. I think they win it pretty big. So I'm going to take the Lions minus three and a half and you can lock it in first lock of the week. I like it. Yeah, me too. I'm going to lock it in as well. Um, oh, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a path for Minnesota uh, to still get in technically, not mathematically eliminated. They need a win, and there's like combinations of Seattle and Tampa or New Orleans losing um, for them to get in, but they have to win. Uh, and the thing is, I, I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think it's in Dan Campbell's nature to be like, all right, rev the engines, boys. Let's go take them out and get ready to go um, for our, our divisional home game. Uh, which will be against a good team, whether that's the uh, the uh, the Packers or the uh, the Rams um, or or whoever else ends up in that seven Saints pot could be or the Seahawks. So uh, I think they're that their foot on the gas. They're not going to uh, want to rest guys just for the sake of resting them. Um, and uh, I'm going to take the Lions to win big as well here. I'll lock it in. I got the right. Lions, but I'm not going to lock it. I just don't know how it's going to work. Like, I think they're going to go out there and kill it, but I can see them pulling guys, let the Vikings come back late, something like that. Yeah, for sure. All right, up next, Jags minus three and a half at the Titans. Still not sure if we're going to see Trevor Lawrence or not, but this is a big game for for Jacksonville, and this is one more opportunity for the Tennessee Titans to try to play spoiler. Um, no Will Levis, so we're going to see another Ryan Tannehill game. I want to take the Jags, you know, because like I, I still see the talent there, but this team's been very disjointed throughout the year, and it does feel like a perfect situation where the Titans come in. And even if the Jags win like 20 to 17, it still won't be enough for the Jags to cover the spread. That being said, I I really don't feel good about 
putting a bet in on Ryan Tannehill right now. So my gut tells me to take the Jags. I'm going to stick. I'm going to go with the Jags minus three and a half, though. I, I hate that hook. I really do. I do, too. I, this was going to be a lock if it was lower for me um, because of Tannehill and because of just Jacksonville on their defense, really. But uh, I'm just going to go with the Jags straight up. Um, it's a weird week for locks. But, yeah, I think they're going to win. Let's hope they cover yeah, this has gone anywhere from five and a half all the way down to three and a half for the Jags. So uh, that movement is propelling me to say, "Give me, you're giving me three and a half points in Tennessee." You know my rule, boys. I'm taking the Titans. My rule is to fade the public, so I, I feel better about that pick for for myself. That that line opened up at five and a half, and it got bet all the way down to three and a half. Then yeah, now I don't know. I mean, look, they did look a lot better. Now, granted, it was with CJ Beathard, you know, but you know they did look a lot better against Carolina last week. Um, yeah, we'll see. This one will be interesting because I think if the Jags win, they're in. I think if the Jags win, they yep. they they win the division. So it's all in front of them. And uh, ten and seven feels like a perfect Dougie P type season uh, with the way that this Jaguars season has gone. Uh, all right, up next, we have the New England Patriots hosting the New York Jets. The Patriots are a two-point favorite here. Can Bill Belichick, in potentially his last game, steal one more away from the New York Jets? Uh, I think so. I think this Patriots team has been playing for Bill Belichick the last few weeks. I think what we've seen here is a defense that's balled out. I took um, the, the Pats last week to, to cover the spread against Buffalo. That game was a lot closer than what we saw. And look, the Jets offense is still putrid and the Patriots defense has been one of the top five defenses in football the last six weeks. So I'm going to roll with the New England Patriots here, minus two. I think it's an easy cover for them, especially as we've seen a little bit more out of, out of Zappy. Still not great, but uh, he looked pretty good last week despite all the turnovers and, and their defense is, is what's keeping them in it. So I don't think it'll be a super clean game, but I do think the Pats defense is so good and the Jets are just so dysfunctional on offense that it's just not really going to matter. And the Patriots are going to win this game uh, pretty comfortably. Yeah, uh, I'm going to lock this up for Patriots mm. um, because I, I'm in the same Thought boat. about it. Uh, this is just it's a close spread. It's at home for them. Uh, their defense is too good. That's it. Yeah, and I don't know, man. Like some, you know, the Jets uh, are too dysfunctional. I'm with you. I'm not going to think about it too much. Uh, I'm going to take the Patriots too. I I think, you know, they're they're one loss away from tying the most regular season defeats uh, that Bill Belichick has had under his uh, in his era as the Patriots head coach. I don't think that happens. Uh, I think they go out and uh, and ball out for him like they have the past couple of weeks. Uh, close game, I think, maybe a field goal, but uh, I'll take the Patriots. Well, what's interesting is with their draft situation, um, even though they lost to the Commanders, they're actually drafting behind the Commanders this season, and it's because it's the the tiebreaker for uh, draft picks is actually strength of strength of schedule or strength of record, whatever, whichever one it is, not head-to-head. And the reason for that is because not every team – plays every single team every single year so it just happens to fall in a year where well the commanders got to leapfrog you know ahead after last week's loss to san francisco they jumped ahead all the way up to the second pick in the draft uh even though the commanders beat the patriots earlier this year the tiebreaker there unfortunately for pats fans is uh is that so i don't know there's pl- as we've said before there's plenty of quarterbacks in this draft but they've they've kind of played their way out of the caleb williams and drake may and 
you know, hey, maybe Jaden Daniels ends up being the guy they pick if they go quarterback. And Boston right. fans are like, he can't even lose right. <laughs> so yeah. I will say this. The hard part about this, not only is it the last week we have resting teams, but like every single game this week is divisional, right? Every game you're playing a divisional opponent. I'm borderline flipping my lock from Patriots to Jags. And I was like, man, that's divisional. Too. And I look, I'm like, wait, these are all divisional. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Uh, just a quick <laughs> reminder for all of those idiots out there like me. <laughs> I'm yeah. keeping the Patriots for now. We will see what happens at the end of this. Week 18, fully, fully divisional. Uh, all right. Another big game could decide a division. Falcons at Saints. The Saints are three and a half point favorites at home in this one. I'm going to take the Falcons for the simple reason of just fade an NFC South team that looks really good the week before. Just if, if an AFC South, if an NFC South team looks really good, fade them the next week. I think if you did that this this year, you'd be up substantial amounts of money because they basically just they all you know the Saints, Falcons, and Bucks have all just basically gone five hundred, and it's been they look really good, then they look bad, they look really good, then they look bad, back and forth with the exception of a couple of times throughout this season. So uh, I'm gonna fade the Saints here. I'm not ending the season betting on the Saints because I hate the Saints for making me pick them every single week so uh i'm taking the falcons i love the the falcons here too um and simply because uh they there's no path for them with a with a loss even or a tie they have to win um to to have a shot uh now they need tampa bay to lose too which you know we'll get to that game next but um they they have to win this game, and when they need to go out and get it, uh, they've no. You know what? They've shit the bed every time they need to go out and get it this year. Give me the Saints. All right, Scotty's on the Saints. What about you, Vito? I'm taking the Falcons. Uh, I I I literally I don't think I've made a bet on either of these guys and won the entire year. So something has to go. Something has to. Actually, no, it doesn't. They could continue. My so, Broncos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm going with that. Just a regular Falcons pick. It's a toss of the coin for me. That's about it. Yeah. And we'll follow that up with the other half of the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Bucks, four and a half point favorites on the road against the Panthers. This line seems suspiciously low. I think part of that is because we're not sure if we're going to see Baker Mayfield or not. Um, I would bet very strongly that we're going to see Baker Mayfield in this game one way or another. And look, the Panthers offense has just been putrid. Uh, it's been so bad. And after one or two little bright spots, like on Christmas, the, the Packers and Panthers game, after we saw that, it's just seemingly gone continually downhill. Time it's been after as time. moist as, uh, the, the drinks that the, their owners throwing on fans. Yeah, seriously. What a, what a scumbag there. Um, yeah. but, and it's because of that, like I'm taking the bucks, I'm locking them in my second lock of the week. Uh, the Bucks, the Bucks have a lot to play for. I think this line feels really low, uh, and even if it is, you know, eighty-five percent of Baker Mayfield or Baker Mayfield bruised ribs, or whatever, playing in this game, I still think they are at least five points better than the Panthers. So uh, I'm going to take the Bucks here at minus four and a half, and you can lock that in uh, as my second lock of the week. I love the lock, Jeff, because I think out of all these games, this is the most clear. It is the Bucks who have H. You win, and you're in the playoffs going up against the worst team in the NFL. I will take that. Yeah. I will definitely take that. <laughs> well, and it sucks too, because that's that's one less, since you locked them in, that's one less one that I have a chance to get up on you. But if, they, if it doesn't hit for some reason, 
then it's, you know, it doesn't hurt me either. So well, either way, I guess it doesn't hurt either way. So the good thing is now it's all about, and I try to not get the lions. So like now, now we got some, now we got a chance. Both of us have a chance. Well, I almost took the Patriots too. <laughs> Do it. Almost. Almost. Do it. No, no, I did. I mean, I was like, come on, come on. That'd be great. Uh, Scotty, what about you? <laughs> I'm going to take the bucks too. Um, it seems like a, a solid lock, but uh, in the interest of playing the game, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave them there. But I will take the Bucks. I just think there's a lot more for them to play for, um, and they're playing against, you know, they the Panthers cannot stop the run. Like, just you want to stay healthy, just hand the ball to Rashad White and your four other backups, and whoever cares, and you'll still be able to win by a, a solid touchdown. I think, uh, especially the way Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been playing. So, I'll take the Bucks too. All right. On to the next one. Bears at Packers. Packers still have a weird, like, outside chance of making the postseason. Um, and it feels very reminiscent to what we saw a year ago, which was, <laughs> you know, the, the Lions going up against the Packers here. And I can tell you my third and final lock of the week is going to be the Chicago Bears. Uh, I love oh. the way this Bears team's been playing defensively. They've been playing really, really good football. They're running the ball really well. Fields is playing the best football of his career right now. And this Packers defense is absolutely abysmal. Um, look, they made Jaron Hall look okay last week or look look bad last week. That's because Jaron Hall is just bad. You know, that 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 has less to do with uh the Packers defense and way more to do with uh the offense that we saw the the Vikings put out there without Hawkinson, without Addison, and Jaron Hall hoping he can throw the ball to Justin Jefferson, who was basically double covered the entire game. Uh, I think the Bears are a better football team. Uh, I just talked about them and the way they've both, I mean, I think the bears are seven and two or six and two in their last eight or nine games. The The bears are, are not fucking around. And if they have an opportunity to take their biggest rival and keep them out of the postseason, they're going to do it. So give me the Chicago bears, lock it in third lock of the week. Last lock of the regular season goes to the Chicago bears, which I did not think I would say at some point this season, yeah. but yet, any Here of the other 17 weeks of the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I couldn't disagree more, actually. I think the Packers are finally uh, playing a little better, getting in a groove. I also just think that they have something to play for. Bears don't at some point. Like, that That does mean something internally. Um, I will say this. Packers at home, I think, is a big deal, right? They still have kind of, quote, unquote, owned Chicago, right? Like, the Aaron yeah. Rodgers thing and Jordan Love won there. Um, earlier this year, I think they're going to get the win. I think it'll it'll take till 2024's season to uh, to avenge that um, that law or all of those losses that the Bears keep taking on. So I'm going to go Packers at home. Yeah, you were talking about the uh, the the route to the uh, to the postseason for the Packers, Jeff. They can win. They can tie in a Seattle loss and New Orleans loss or tie. They can tie and have a Seattle loss or a Tampa Bay loss. They can tie and have Seattle tie and Tampa Bay loss or tie. Minnesota loss or tie. Tampa loss. And it's it's insane. Like there's like Nuts. eight different scenarios which in which they can get to the postseason. And that's all to say that uh, that's because uh, they're playing at home uh, in front of their fans. I think they dominate, uh, like Vito said, another week uh, and, and give themselves a shot against a division rival. Um and uh, I'm going to take the Packers as well. I think Jordan Love, bit of a snub for the uh, for the Pro Bowl, by the way. Uh, he's been playing really well. Uh, give me Wouldn't the Packers, too. Snub. Yeah, a little bit. 
Uh, I think it's only a snub because more like half the league doesn't have a starting quarterback, doesn't have their normal starting quarterback. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you make the Pro Bowl if you started week one and got to week 18 healthy. That that's the then you made the Pro Bowl. Nailed it. Uh, all right, moving on. I'm on an island there. Uh, Broncos at Raiders. Your Broncos here, Vito. Three point underdogs in the last se- last game of the season. Uh, another uh, Jarrett Stidham game. What do we what do we think? I think Max Crosby's gonna have a fucking day with all of our offensive linemen and Jared Stidham. That's just my gut. Is like we are fucked. Again, I have money on the fact that we are gonna win this game. I want to pick us. I just i I need all the picks I can get here. I'm gonna pick the Raiders. I think Max Crosby's gonna be the one who does it to the, our entire team. I'm gonna go Raiders. It might be the first time I picked against us all year. I don't know, I'm but pretty sure it is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's worked out mostly. Before. You know what? No, I'm gonna. Yeah, you're right. I'm going Broncos. What am I thinking? Yeah, you gotta ride with your guys. Uh, yep. Crazy. I, I know if I if I'm negative because of my Broncos picks and don't get above 500 overall, I'm okay with that. If it's because yeah. of this game, I'm okay. <laughs> I uh, cr- crazy Max Crosby stat I heard a couple weeks ago. Max Crosby, I think, has five games this year where he's played every single defensive snap. No other defensive lineman has more than one. That's he's, a motor. Dude, he's nuts. And he he's he awesome. specifically dominates all of our linemen. He's done it for years. It just always I think it happens to everybody, but yeah. It's something he loves about the Broncos and Chiefs. Because Chargers he doesn't even mess as much. Those two he loves killing us. Yeah, I'm gonna take the Raiders here. I I, I kind of like Aiden O'Connell. Like I, I know he look he, that game against Kansas City where they won, like he didn't the last completed pass he had was with like two minutes left in the first quarter. You know, like it, 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 there's been moments where he looked like, oh, okay, it's the reason you went to Purdue and reason you were a, you know, fifth round draft pick. But there's also been moments where I'm like, damn, that was a really nice throw from Aiden O'Connell. I kind of like that. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I like this Raiders team. They've been able to move the ball. I like the fight and the nastiness that they have with uh, Antonio Pierce. So uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, the Raiders here minus three. I think they win this game. I think they covered the spread too. Do you think uh, AP's locked up getting that that shot at the at the head coaching job? I it should, but yeah, knowing should, knowing Mark so. Davis as an owner, I, I I don't think it is, but it should. Yeah. In my opinion, I don't think he least. legally can anymore anyway. But yeah, it, yeah, yeah, he'll have to do yeah, the interview process anyway. You're yeah. right because Denver's going to run the ball all over him. Give me the Broncos. Mm. Oh, Scotty, I love it. All right. All right. Changing it up. Uh, up next, the game everyone's so excited to talk about. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles minus four and a half on the road against the New York Giants. What sucks about this is the Eagles were able to avoid MetLife. I mean, they had to play in the Jets there. But when I saw that they were at the Giants in week 18, I was like, great. They won't have to play Jalen. No chance of that god awful turf taking any ACLs. Yeah, or taking Would have had any the one Achilles. locked up already. Yeah, you know, even just the two seed, just have something, just to be like, hey, Jalen, you don't got to play in this game, bud. You're fine. You know, yeah. I don't. The my the worst case scenario is there's like a catastrophic injury, like an Achilles tear or an ACL tear on that turf in a game that the Eagles do need. Um, and there's always like one or it feels like there's like one, one and a half every two weeks. I don't know. It's just, it's like not quite every week, but it's, it feels like it happens almost every week that there's a game in MetLife. So my hope is the Eagles come out of it healthy because again, I don't think much of this year is going to really matter. Um, 
Four and a half point favorite. It seems really low. I think it's pretty accurate for how the Eagles have been playing. But I also think if there's any any ounce of fight in this team, it comes out in this game. And we saw them get up to a big score against them on Christmas. We saw them go up on a big score against Arizona last week in the first half. I just hope the score is big enough for them to be able to cover four and a half. So I'm going to take the Eagles. And yeah, that's that's all I got. <laughs> uh, ditto on everything you said, right? I mean, that's that's about it. There's not much more to add at this point. Yeah. No. No, I I agree. I'm taking the Eagles too for all the same reasons. I just I we know what their offense can do, um, but that that Giants offense put up 25 points on what we think is a pretty decent Rams defense last week. So true. Uh, also at MetLife, so full game of Tyrod um, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the uh, Eagles to cover, but uh, we'll see. I think it might be uh could be a close game if the Eagles play the way they've been playing. Yeah, yeah. I part of me wants to just take the Giants to be honest. Because I just I don't know Tarad is mobile Home and, dog, <laughs> yeah. I just I don't know what the fuck do they have to play for? But again, it's a divisional game. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's gross and weird. I hate it. Anyway, Seahawks at Cardinals. Interesting game here because the Seahawks are still alive, and the Cardinals have been kind of frisky over the last few weeks. Uh, the Seahawks are two and a half point favorites. They need this game. And I'm going to take Seattle only because I really like where that line's at at two and a half because I feel like this game's going to come down to a field goal. Again, another one of those 24-21, 20-17, 27-24 type wins where that three points, you're going to be happy you're on the right side of those three points. So uh, I'm going to take Seattle minus two and a half, uh, even though I'm, I'm not super confident in them. But I think their defense is a lot better than what we saw the Eagles were last week. I think they'll be better against their run than what we saw the Eagles do against the Cardinals. And, you know, we were kind of waiting on that, like, Kyler Murray moment, and he had it in that game against Philly. Um, Dallas lost to Arizona, too, but it was Clayton Toon. Just a quick reminder. Or Josh Dobbs, just remember that. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take Seattle. Nice. I'm going to go uh, Arizona. I know there can be a bit of a hangover uh, in games where they play really tough, especially in that comeback win, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, this Seattle defense is bad. Uh, I've been saying that for weeks and nobody wanted to listen to me. This Seattle defense stinks. Uh, I think this is the last time you see Pete Carroll on the sideline for Seattle. It's a wrap. That franchise is done. Bury him in the dirt. Get him out of here. Cardinals. All right. I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy though. I mean, look, it's it's, Pete's getting up there. I mean, he's seventy two years old. Guys, he's an old man. You know, how much longer is he going to coach? You don't know. And if it is his last game, there's better reason to take the Seahawks. Agreed. Good point, Vito. Good counterpoint. Uh, All right, Chiefs at Chargers. The Chargers are three and a half point favorites here. I have no idea what to do with this one whatsoever. Um, Chiefs aren't playing anyone either, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, why. Blaine yeah, Gabbert. <laughs> yeah, Blaine Gabbert. We're getting Jesus. Blaine. Chad Henney out of retirement. Um, <laughs> yeah, they might, might be better. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, Easton Stick hasn't looked awful, but he also hasn't looked good. The Chargers defense has had some life to it. I just – I neither one of these teams has anything to play for, so I just don't know. I have no lead, so uh, – because I guess I'll just take the points. I don't know. Like, I just have no idea – what to expect out of this game. No, no Mahomes, no Kelsey offensive line is going to get some rest. Uh, no Chris Jones. So I don't know. Fuck it. I'll take the chargers. Who cares? 
And that's kind of why I'm with you, man, uh, because it's it's game at home. It's the last game of the year. Chargers have something to prove, especially like um, Austin Eckler out there. The, the Chiefs are resting starters because they're locked into the three seed. The Chargers are resting starters because they've been all fucking injured all year long. Uh, but uh, they'll get some of them back. Maybe Keenan Allen plays. I doubt it, though, with it uh, being the, the last game of the year. We'll see. I love what Easton Stick is doing. Um being being as mobile as he is and uh and throwing the ball as well as he is. Uh with no starters on the Chiefs, uh they have nothing they haven't proven anything to me in terms of, of a ton of depth this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um so I'm gonna take the Chargers too at home. The exact same thing that Jeff said with this in my head is like fuck it, I'll take the Chargers. Like that yeah. that's literally it. That's it. <laughs> I just no idea. Just like that's all right, all fuck it. Fuck it. Take the Chargers. I uh, kind of feel the same way about the next game. Rams at Niners. Neither team's playing their starters. Uh, I guess the Rams have a little bit more to play for. I, I don't really know. Um, but it's going to be a lot of backups for San Francisco. Uh, Scotty, have you gotten any intel percentage-wise? Of what? How many guys are playing? Uh, for us, well, I mean, all the big guys aren't. I think yeah. I might get in for, for the first couple of series. Uh, CMC's not playing. Brock's not playing. I'd yeah. be surprised if Trent Williams were out there for for an extended period of time. Um, and most of the rest of the offensive line, for that matter. Uh, same yeah. thing on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's just no risk in, in, in similar to what the Ravens situation is, obviously, but no risk in in getting those guys hurt. And similar to to the Rams, who've locked up a playoff spot as well. Like, seeming yeah. to be determined, sure, but, like, do you want to risk Kyron Williams getting hurt uh, if you play him for a while? Do you want to risk any injuries on that offensive line. We already know Stafford sitting, Cup sitting, Nakua, same thing. Do you want to risk getting him hurt because he's so dynamic too? Um, and then their their defense is is like still, you know, figuring it out um as as they hit the stride. So I, I just think this is it's still gonna be good on good, but I'm gonna take the depth here with the Niners to cover the four. <laughs> yeah, because I think there is still a chance that the Rams could be the seven seed. I could be wrong about that, but I, I think there's a chance that they could drop to the seven seed. But you said they're resting guys. Maybe they do have that seed locked up because the only other teams in the NFC tiebreaker wise, Seattle, they're eight and eight. Green Bay's Green eight Bay. and eight. And I think they have the tiebreaker over both of those. So um the Saints and yeah, Saints and uh Bucks, if they both win, Saints would be nine and eight and the Bucks would be nine and eight. Uh so I, I guess if they're starting those guys, that means mathematically or they're resting those guys. It means mathematically the Rams are are out of it, but I don't know. Yeah, Just give me the point. Yeah. What's that Vito? I think they're locked at six. Yeah. Um, Just showing. Yeah. I, I guess. I don't know. I'm just going to take the points. Just give me the Rams. I'm going to take the Niners. I like the backups. I think it's a deep team. I like the scheme. This comes down Slang to coach, I like that offensive scheme. Yeah. <laughs> You said yeah. Sam Donald's going to win a meaningful game, <laughs> Jeff. I did. Meaningful to me. I did. Still possible. <laughs> Still possible. He 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 didn't look terrible. He had scored a through a touchdown in that that Christmas Day game against the Ravens. He looked all right yeah. in that first draft. Uh, I switched my. I'm going to take the Niners. Uh, nice, all right. Nice. <laughs> Up next, Cowboys at Commanders. Cowboys a 13 point favorites in this one. I don't know. I mean, the Commanders could try to play spoilers. Uh, but the command the, the Cowboys know, hey, you win, you're the two seed. And for this Cowboys team who has really struggled on the road, 
They want as many home games as possible going through this playoff run. I fully expect them to come out and play really, really strong football. 13 is a lot of points. Um, and they have struggled on the road. I think the Cowboys win by like a touchdown, but I think the commanders kind of hang around a little bit longer. So I'm going to take the commies to cover 13. Yeah. The other opportunity is the Eagles game is way earlier, right? Um, or no, the Eagles say, are at four, 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 yeah. They, four, they, four they're not allowed All to play. Four o'clock games are they're not allowed time. to play at the same time or they're, they're not allowed to play at different times. That's awesome. Um, okay. That Cause I was like, you know, they could win and then just sit everybody, but um, it's a lot of points. I'm going to take the Cowboys anyway. Um, you know, I think Eagles win. I think they come out to show it and they, if they put the gas down, I think it needs to be their attitude to your point. Yeah. Uh, I think that they can do it with Dak on that commie defense. Yeah. All I have in my head is that game. I think it was two years ago, maybe. Um, I think it was Micah's rookie year where they rolled into to Washington. And it was, it was like a big game and uh, 56 to nothing. Uh, or something like that, Dallas. And it was turnover after turnover and after turnover. Dallas defense is sitting there chirping on the sidelines, all the Washington fans in the stands. The same thing's going to happen right here. I think they're going to roll into Washington and absolutely eat them a lot. I'm going to switch again. I'm very fickle today. I'm going to take the Cowboys. Uh, it's funny because you said that what was in my head was last year when Sam Howell beat the Cowboys when they still had something to play for and the commanders didn't. That's what that's what was in my head. Um yeah, I don't know. It might be Brissett playing. He was supposed to play last week, but then was a little banged up and couldn't go, so they had to start Howell again. But, yeah, no, it, sh- it should be the Cowboys, especially after that that game last week. I swear if the commanders, like, Although, pull this off, I'm going to be. Road oh. and grass, so there's yeah. your advantage. And that god-awful stadium. My God. Uh, all right, last up, last game of the regular season, Bills minus three at Miami. A lot to play for in this game. Miami's now down their two best pass rushers uh, and offensively have not looked quite the same the last couple of weeks. Their offensive line's getting really banged up. The Bills also haven't looked great. Uh, They've escaped the last two weeks against the Chargers and the Patriots. So the fact that the Bills are favored is a little bit surprising, but these are two teams that are in very good spots getting ready for the postseason. But at the same time, like in terms of positioning, um, and like their records and everything, but over the last couple games, there's been a lot of uh, question marks around them. The Bills are three point favorites. Where are you guys leaning on this one, Vito? We'll start with you. I'm gonna go Bills, man. I just think to your point, they could not be in the playoffs, right? All this stuff will happen before they play for sure. But at the end of the day, they win, they're in, and it, it's a big seeding change too, right? I mean, right now if they go to the six, um, I, I'm gonna go with the Bills. And Dolphins just haven't played well against good teams. That's just how it's gone all year. Yeah, and on top of that, they're missing uh, two of their most important defensive players in Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. You can throw uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey out there one-on-one with Stephon Diggs all day long. We've figured out that the Bills are are better than that offensively. And, again, it comes from the run game. And if they're able to run the ball effectively against a beat-up mash unit of a defensive line uh, and second-level second linebackers in the uh, for the Dolphins, you can forget it. And if a playoff spot is on the line, the fact that, I mean, the AFC title is on the line in this one, really. Yeah. Uh, I think there's the Bills are about to drop the hammer down on these guys. I'm going to lock them in uh, to cover the three points. Yeah, Scotty, you only have two locks. You need another lock, bud. I know. I just said the Bills. What was your other one? Oh. Yeah. 
Uh, fuck it, Cardinals. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm also rolling with the Bills. To me, it's tough because like Tua has been big in big games in his career, going back to college. Um, but so is Josh Allen, right? When the cards are on the table, who do you believe in more between those two guys? What defense do you believe in more right now? And I tend to li- believe more in the in the Bills. And look, the last time these two teams played, the Bills beat the living shit out of the Dolphins. I'm sure the Dolphins are like, hey, no one believes in us. We're down our guys. They're going to get the most out of their players. There's always a chance Tyreek Hill has one of his 220-yard games with four touchdowns, and you know they end up putting up a ton of points. I still think the Bills are going to be able to score in this game. So even if the Bills don't look totally crisp, even if Josh Allen turns the ball over a little bit, I still think this is going to be a high – There's even if this is a high-scoring game, I do think the Bills will end up on top. And at three, I, I like Buffalo. So I'm going to take Buffalo here, minus three, to uh, to win this game and to, to win the AFC East, finish out the season as the two seed. Uh, all right, and the last game we're picking today – the national championship. Washington is a four and a half point dog under the Mich- uh dog um against the yeah, they're huskies, uh, so yeah, they are dogs. Sorry, yeah. I, I almost said Wolverines. Um against the Wolverines. So Michigan, four and a half point favorite in the national title game in Houston. Who do you guys got? Give me the quarterback who slings better and doesn't look like a douchebag. Uh, I'm going to take Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies to win this game outright. I think their offensive line can stick up and bully this uh, this stout defensive line around. I think Penix doesn't have to throw the ball deep, and if he can or if he does, then he's got the the most accuracy uh, to do it. The way that he threw the ball, like some of the windows he's throwing through, are absolute ropes, just dimes all day all over the field. If they're if they're starting running backs not out there, that's going to hurt them a little bit. But I I think Penix can put the team on his shoulders uh, and get it done. I'm going to take Washington to win the uh, win the Natty this year. Big Ten wow. team. I'm going to take Washington to cover, but I I think Michigan wins this game. They have their I know they're top. I think they're 14 in offense. They're number one on defense. These are scoring, not yardage, right? And scoring that's all that matters in these big games. Washington's top 15 in scoring offense, but I think they're like in the 30s or 50s or so, yeah, 53rd in scoring defense. Um, they played a lot tougher competition than Michigan has all year. I will say that, especially on the offensive side. Um, like they had a full game against Iowa that just doesn't count, right? Zero points. So that helps Michigan. But I don't know, man. I, I think Michigan pulls this one out. I think it's a close game. I think Washington covers, but Michigan wins. So I'm going to take Washington uh, on the spread. But Michigan is your winner. I, I believe so. And I think this is a year where they got out a tough performance. This just seems to be their year. And I don't yeah. know how else to say it. I, I'm telling you, man. And the reason I'm taking Washington to win the whole thing is eventually, and we haven't seen it yet, they've been rewarded for some reason. But eventually, the football gods will catch up to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's true. It is true. Um, look, I alluded to earlier in the pod saying I'm leaning towards Washington. And the huge reason for that, and the reason why I picked them against Texas, even though they were underdogs in that game as well, is because this Washington team is in extremely battle-tested. They have won all different types of games. They've won games where they've been massive favorites. They've won games that have been underdogs. They've won games in shootouts. They've won games that have been 20-17. to 17. They have won games in all different types of ways this year. They can beat you in a multitude of different ways. 
And even though there's questions about the injuries, and even though historically speaking, the more talented team is usually the one that wins and the, the team that, you know, Georgia didn't have any adversity in their last two national championships, and yet they still found ways to win, right? Historically, winning close games all season doesn't usually matter when it gets to the end because one team is usually just way more talented than the other. We don't have that this year. We have a game where the the, the talent is pretty even on both sides. The injury to Dylan Johnson is definitely a concern, but to me, Washington is the team that's going to win the national championship this year. Michael Penix, I think, has been arguably the best player in college football this year, uh, definitely of the contenders, the teams that are in the college football playoff. And so because of that, I'm rolling with the team that's found ways to win week after week. Michigan's had an awesome season. Like, they have been great. But outside of that game last this past week, they have not had too many issues, too many hurdles to kind of overcome. And uh, to me, this is a game where I think Washington's experience in close games with Michael Penix, an experienced quarterback, they find a way to get it done. I love the talent on the outside. And the big thing is, you know, if Jalen Milrose could throw over the middle and could hit those intermediate throws, I think Alabama would have won that game. You can only stop this offense for so long. And so if Michigan's going to have to go score for score with with Washington, that's a tall task to ask for a, for a team that is uh, really good at controlling the ball, really good at running the ball, but does not have that dynamic offensive play that we've seen before. So I think the Washington Huskies raise the banner. They become the 2023 national champions. And uh, I'm excited to watch that game on Monday night. So we might uh, push the pod back to maybe Tuesday afternoon or something recording time, just so that way we can talk about this game, or we might end up just waiting until later in the week to record a pod to recap the national championship. But either way, I hope everybody enjoys week 18. I hope everyone enjoys the uh, national championship and I hope everyone has a, has a great weekend. So uh, for the boys, I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you guys next week. Congratulations to Scott winning our, Fantasy championship this year. He is the champion. Thank you. Commissioner champion. Congratulations, Scotty. XFL 3.0 rigged. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Rigged. I'm waiting for all what that to come in. This year. The script is crazy. Scotty. script is yeah. crazy. I wrote down the NFL myself. scripts. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, great job by Scotty. And uh, yeah, everyone have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Until then, take it easy, everyone.